0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt
2: Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU
2: Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Happy uh, Tax Day. Today's the day, folks. You got to get them in. Got to get them in today or, uh, you know. You don't have to, of course. You could file for your extension. You can file for your extension. Is that so, what you do? Yeah, I do every time, and got to get it in. Still got to get your extension in.
3: <sighs> did you just forget about it, or
2: no? You
3: just you just can't bother to I, worry about it. I got to
2: get a lot of numbers in, and sometimes it takes the numbers a while to get in. But you did yours. You got them in in time, barely. I got my extension in.
3: If you start earlier, would it help to finish.
2: Well, but you've got business numbers that they close only a few months ago, and it gets more complicated than that. So we just file a little extension. Okay. So it's a fun thing. It's a really fun thing for everybody involved. <laughs>
3: I don't think it is.
2: Um, yeah. And so – Here's the deal. Of course, you got to file your taxes. Right. I mean, you don't want to make a mistake like that. That would just get you. It's not even just tax day, by the way. It's also National Animal Crackers Day. This is, this is the fun day when you get to celebrate those cute little animal crackers by, like, I don't know, biting off their head, perhaps. Maybe eating the nose off the elephant or the leg off the bear. I think we established this with the Easter bunny that you should bite off their face first. Well, that's if you don't want them to look at you while you're eating the rest of them. Because that's just awkward. I like to save the face. <laughs> you want them to remember to... you for yeah. as long as possible. I love animal crackers, but not like... There's some, there's some cheap ones that taste like um, cardboard. And then there's some really good ones that are just nice and sugary, yummy yum-yums. Hmm. Not the cardboard ones. They're no good. The cardboard ones in the cardboard box, you think, taste like cardboard? They taste like the box. You may as well just eat the box Hmm. and the plastic wrapping inside. Mm. Animal Cracker Day. Celebrate it, folks. Grab your kids some animal crackers and then teach them how to appropriately eat those bad boys. And nothing better than the little chocolate-covered ones. Mm. Gotta love it. Good stuff. Hey, uh, by the way, today is also we're going to be talking about journalism. And are there such a thing as nonpartisan journalists anymore? And can it happen? And what is what is President Trump's election done to journalism? It may have very well, like neutralized the impact of journalism, because for all the partisan journalists, They're just doing more of the same, but they can't claim – they can't cry partisanship because they are partisans. And for those that used to think they were nonpartisans, they can't say anything because anything they say either seems – it seems partisan.
3: So if you claim you're nonpartisan as a journalist, but no one believes you, are you nonpartisan? This is the whole tree in the this, forest. This
2: is the deal, yeah. And the problem is, is, is partisan or nonpartisan journalism the future? What is the ideal way to do this? And one of the problems is now the market is driving journalism. Hmm. For years, mar- the, the markets, people never made money, make really being journalists. Maybe you and could ask, you ask this guy, too, if having a degree in communication with an emphasis in broadcast journalism has any value anymore. Great, great or if it questions. ever did. Yeah, yeah. That's my bachelor's degree is that, and it obviously doesn't. That's your bachelor's degree? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's yeah. mine, too. See where it got us? Yeah. Nowhere. But happy about it. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Never been more happy. So we'll get into all that fun about journalism, um, plus, of course, some headlines. And uh, in, uh, later in the show, I, I guess I, ha- I actually have a call with someone from the IRS.
3: Yeah. You're going to handle that on the air?
2: Not in this show. Not in the first hour. The second hour of the show, well, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm going mean, to I mean, don't you
3: normally set an appointment? You can maybe—
2: Well, it's today's the day. It's got to be done, and the guy— This is the, the only time. The tax guy's got some questions. The IRS right. guy's got right. a few questions to ask me. Okay. Just about some of my filings. Just, maybe you.
3: shows done at noon Eastern. You could just schedule it for that time. But.
2: Well, yeah, but I kind of felt like I, I owe it to the people, the peeps. Okay, well— the listeners. So some people don't want their tax returns public, but you're OK with that. You have nothing to hide. I've got nothing to hide. OK. I mean, I think I, I did everything. I, I, I don't get me wrong. I used the extent of the law possible. I pushed it. But
3: <laughs> what I does mean, an extension bec- get you? Because How only, far-
2: only dumb people. Isn't this what Trump said? Only dumb people pay taxes.
3: Well, by the way, Bloomberg is reporting this morning that 4 million fewer people had filed their returns by April 7th than last year. Really? We got a bunch of real dummies. There you
2: go. Yeah. Yeah, I see. So those are the smart people. So but there, aren't might, finally...
3: there might be a rush. Yeah. We might have that, that that wonderful TV guy standing out in front of the post office oh. tonight. Oh, Shik shame. Stand in, they do that every year. Well they used to. Now with all the online filing people don't we have to do. Shi- that as we much. should send
2: we should send shik to, to go office? stand to, by a post office box. Except a lot of people now just are e-filing, right? So yeah, maybe I mean. we could just have him stand by a computer? A computer.
3: Oh, there it goes. <laughs> I mean, oh, click. Bing.
2: Bing. <laughs> You've got mail. We'll get to all that excitement, folks. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country we should be worrying about?
3: Day after a man posted a video on Facebook of himself allegedly killing an elderly man, the social media company has said it must do more to prevent gruesome videos. On Sunday, Facebook user Steve Stevens allegedly shot and killed a stranger before uploading the video to Facebook, where it remained online for hours. Stevens is still at large, believed to be armed. Facebook is holding their F8 Developers Conference Uh, Today and tomorrow in San Jose, just by coincidence. So, of course, the media flocked there and a spokesperson had some difficult questions to answer on Monday. Why can't Facebook take down quickly video of a murder when it's posted on Facebook? Unfortunately,
0: I can't comment on that. We want to be able to show the new technologies across things like Messenger, Oculus, uh, virtual reality, uh, augmented realities.
3: You've had live killings on Facebook Live. Unfortunately, I can't comment on that. Hmm? So we want to talk about virtual reality but you've had murders. Eh, we can't talk about that.
2: We yeah. have some great new products and features coming out, yeah. though, that will also eventually in the future be able to show more murders. Come on.
3: Yeah, Facebook took another shot at addressing the situation. Uh, we know we need to do better. Justin uh, also Osposki, the G- vice president of global operations of Facebook, said in a statement Monday, we disabled the suspect's account within 23 minutes of receiving its first report about the murder video in two hours after receiving any report. Of any kind. Initially, they said that this type of content is unacceptable. Yeah. Content being murder videos.
2: Yeah. Great. So So stop it, Facebook.
3: It's just uh, her talking Uh. about, like, Messenger and virtual reality when he's asking her about murder videos.
2: Yeah, sorry, we can't... I mean, yeah, you can't spin yeah. that story. You just gotta say, yeah, we're so sorry. But look the look on her victims.
3: face is funny, too. She's like, uh, we can't really... It's
2: actually a really interesting point. Always address what's being asked. Like, yeah. sorry, you know what? We feel sorry for the victims. Our hearts go out with them, and we're, we're not... We can't comment on on that story right now. Not
3: the Oculus Rift or whatever.
2: Don't start going (laughs) off on your product.
3: Georgia's 6th Congressional District goes to the polls today to vote for a replacement for Representative Tom Price, who now serves as the Health and Human Services Secretary. Leading the crowded uh, race is a heavily funded Democrat, John Osloff, who is averaging about 48% of the polls with the next highest polling candidate, Karen Handel, a Republican, at about 18%. So the Democrat taking this Republican. Tom Price usually won that by yeah. 20 points. Now that was Demo- Newt
2: Gingrich's seat. That yeah. was Tom Price's seat. So now
3: this guy's got 48% when it comes to the, the vote so far. The closest Republican, 18%. He the, uh, the Democrat will need more than 50% of the vote if he's to avoid a June 20th runoff election.
2: Yeah, he's right now, what is he, 46 oh, 48, yeah. 48, yeah. Uh,
3: critical voting machines were reported stolen in Georgia just one day before the state special congressional election. Uh, Great. Election. The uh, what is it? The uh, Secretary of State there is saying that uh, we've opened an investigation. We're taking steps to ensure it has no effect on the election. I'm confident that the results will not be compromised. Oh my heavens! So yeah, voting machines disappeared in Georgia. Arkansas Supreme Court Monday afternoon ordered a stay of execution for Don Davis and Bruce Ward, two inmates scheduled to be executed on. Uh, they were scheduled to be executed Monday as part of the execution palooza in arkansas yeah as we're trying to get this done in a week Davis and ward uh, two of six arkansas inmates scheduled for execution over this 11 day period u.s supreme court early this morning rejected a request by the state of arkansas to execute one of the condemned men scheduled to die before the end of april the state is racing against time because the expiration what, what the are drugs the, what are the that.
2: courts why are the courts what are they saying
3: well the courts are saying there's some mental health issues that have not been addressed
2: Oh, is it just in the one? or yeah. Well, it's
3: in the one, but by doing the one, it's kind of stopping Slowing down the, the whole process. And there's also the initial judge who stopped it on Friday. Right. Uh, he apparently made his ruling and then walked out of the courtroom, joined the protest out in front of the court by laying down on a cot, acting as oh, a Oh, yeah, I saw air. that. So he's been removed from any death penalty cases in the future. It's just chaos as they're trying to wow. rush. yeah. To execute people, probably the whole idea of rushing to execute people is it throws people here. off. Yeah, President Trump's former campaign chairman Paul Manafort is reportedly guiding a Chinese billionaire on how to profit from Trump's promised one trillion dollar infrastructure plan. <laughs> out of the Financial Times, Manafort's spokesman denies the report. So, wow. More with Manafort, and finally, when Harvey Kenyon Carnes was nervous at the uh, was nervous at the U.S. embassy in London as he was questioned about. Possible terrorist activities is unclear, but his grandfather says, tells The Guardian that Harvey was good good as gold and didn't cry once, Mm. which is surprising as Harvey's a three-month-old Britain infant. Caught up in what Grandpa Paul Kenyon calls a genuine mistake that led to more than $3,700 in extra costs to make a Florida vacation happen after Harvey's travel papers didn't show up in time. It all started when the elder Kenyan, the grandpa, was preparing for his extended family's trip from the U.K. to Orlando and filling out electronic system for travel authorization forms, which the Telegraph explains are necessary if one is traveling to the U.S. under a visa waiver program. But after filling out five forms for himself and other family members, the grandpa mistakenly checked yes for the question on Harvey's form. No, Harvey's a three month old infant. Yeah. That said, Do you seek to engage in or have you ever engaged in terrorist activities, espionage, sabotage, or genocide? <laughs> <laughs> he clicked yes on that one. Yes. The family, Regularly. To, the family had to cart Harvey, the three-month-old, on a 10-hour trip from his home in Cheshire to the London embassy where he was apparently cleared of all terrorist ties. Oh. Though, as his grandpa says, he has sabotaged quite a few diapers in his time. <laughs> so because they made the mistake, the, the embassy uh, – they said you must bring him in. The three-month-old baby must be present so we can verify who oh, he is. Oh, my word. So that he's not a terrorist.
2: They did a pat-down, yeah. a Frisk change. Him. An interview away from his parents, and then they sent him off with a warm bottle unbelievable yeah it makes you take these things seriously right you got to – you well, got i mean you, it's a mistake, but that cost him
3: the other side twenty the, hours
2: of travel there's a
3: question on on entry documents to our country that says, do you seek to engage in terrorism, espionage sabotage, or genocide like someone's going to check yes yeah I, I who who has checked yes.
2: The baby, just barely. Yeah, so <laughs> it's unbelievable. Dumb.
3: Wow. <laughs> okay. The so baby does that. have the
2: shifty eyes, though. Oh, you, you got to watch out for the shifty. You know shifty what? I eyes. Never trust a baby that can't look you in the eye. That's what my grandma used to tell me. They're up to something. They're up to something. Do you hear about um, the uh, Catherine Switzer, the first female Boston marathoner 50 years ago? She re ran the race yesterday. And fifty years ago, she was. She, people were like trying to beat her up in the middle of the race because women shouldn't be running.
3: The race organizer got in a car, found her on the course, got out of the car, chased her down, tried to pull her bib off, bib off, so she wasn't official because yeah. women weren't supposed to run. Women, well, because, women don't
2: run back then. He goes,
3: "You're sabotaging. Yeah, it would it would hurt them in a uh, a medical sense. <laughs> you know, running was just it was wrong for women yeah. and all this."
2: You jump. need to be having more children. Shouldn't you be having a child right
3: now? No, I'm running the marathon.
2: Shouldn't you be baking a quiche? <laughs> oh, geez. Well, it was up until, it's sad.
3: what, 2010, that Olympic downhill long jump, the skiing long yeah. jump. They, there was no, women could not compete. There was no women event for that because the honest belief was that it would mess up your reproductive organs if you competed land in that, the long right? jump. If you land. And they're like,
2: well, it's <laughs> actually well, it's actually the, the not landing that really messes well, yeah, it up. Yeah,
3: yeah, but there's they're just and that was in 2010. So I mean, the, the idea that these ideas continue to persist is kind of uh, unbelievable. Maybe a commentary on. Well,
2: congratulations things. to her and way to go back and make everybody realize that was 50 years ago. See, she, I I think my wife would want to do the long jump right
4: now because she's ready to get this baby out
3: yeah anything she would love anything to have gravity just <laughs> so the woman running the the marathon yeah. when she ran she had several friends with her mm-hmm. male friends one was a boyfriend one is a boyfriend and the, uh, she said her boyfriend grabbed this guy from the race organization committee took
2: and, him out and
3: grabbed him and threw him down like get away from us and she kept running so it's pretty cool she she got registered by using her initials
2: oh is she name. now
3: Like, uh, say if it was like JK, whatever. Yeah, her name was
2: was Catherine Switzer, so probably K, her name, J Switzer.
3: Yeah, so she used her initials, and they went, okay, sure, and they signed her up.
2: Another man. You would never expect a female 50 years ago to sneak into the Boston Marathon. And then, I mean, a lot of the people injured in the Boston Marathon bombing were women. Mm Crazy. Crazy.
3: Cool. You, see, you see the time on the, the winner for the, I just saw the female no, time. Was it was it? like two hours and 21 minutes or something Holy for the women.
2: Cow. 26.2 miles in two hours and 20 yeah. minutes. Oof. I don't know that I could drive it
3: that fast. I
2: mean, I get distracted and have to stop for a drink. Ah, congratulations to everybody that finished the Boston Marathon. What a What a feat that is. And for the rest of us that just look at all those people running marathons and think, why? Why do you do that? I mean, I get it. But nobody looks more miserable than a marathoner. <laughs> you know, it just, it just looks miserable. But congrats to all that can do such a thing. Powerful. We will take a break. When we come back, we're going to be taking on journalism and find out, is it the end of nonpartisan journalism? Is it the end of partisan journalism? uh crazy crazy things happening uh since president trump has been running it's upending journalism as we know it stick with us this is the matt townsend show This past election has caused journalists uh, to look at their profession to determine what the future of journalism really is, whether a nonpartisan journalist fact-checked the president, they chose to be labeled as part of the liberal media, or to intentionally leave the fact unchecked. What are you supposed to do? Do you leave it unchecked and just let the president say what he wants? Do you check the president and then be labeled as a, you know, a partisan journalist? Did this past election cycle have any nonpartisan media coverage? Does nonpartisan journalism have a future in our modern-day political world? Well, here to answer some of these questions is Professor Justin Buechler. He's a professor of political science at Case Western University and uh, is going to help us sort through some of this. Justin, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. So, boy, uh, as a journalism student, now – 30 years into a profession here. Talk to me. Uh, it seems like this journalistic ethic of being nonpartisan is it's it's really up in the air now. Are we now questioning whether partisan or nonpartisan journalism has a future? Are we to that point?
5: Um, I think we are. I mean, this is this is a difficult environment, Um and there are a couple of problems. I think it's, it's the relationship between two issues. Uh, we have two things going on simultaneously. There is a complicated media environment that consists of journalists who try to be nonpartisan and try to be uh, objective about how they cover politics, trying to coexist with journalists who are more opinion-based. And we have a combination of that and really asymmetric politics. The complicated media environment of nonpartisan journalists and opinion-based journalists would work a little bit better if we had symmetric politics where the parties were sort of equally ideologically extreme and both followed the same rules. But that's really been breaking down and broke down a lot in, in the 2016 election with Trump and fact-checking, as you said, where Trump would simply say uh, things that just weren't true a lot, and journalists had to figure out how they would deal with somebody who just sort of lies on an unprecedented scale.
2: And and when you say lies, I mean, again, every partisan out there, everybody listening that is pro-Trump or against Trump... Um, Tell tell us, because there are now organizations that do nothing in a nonpartisan way, usually it seems like, but to try to determine if what they're saying is factually correct. So what when you say lying, that's because PolitiFact or other organizations and what are some other names of these organizations that are checking the truth of what's being said?
5: Well, uh, every newspaper that has a fact checking operation will uh, sort of have their own little system. So they will count up, I think Washington Post counts up Pinocchios or something. I'm I'm trying to remember off the top of my head which one has Pinocchios. I think that one's Washington Post. Somebody can look that up uh, and fact check me on that, I guess. Um, but everybody has their own little operation. But, I mean, the problem is there. there is such a thing as objective reality. And uh, every proper uh, media organization is supposed to engage in some sort of fact-checking in how they write their stories. Um, and a lot of uh, media organizations have been struggling with how to deal with a candidate who will simply say things uh, that – uh, are are just blatantly false. Mm.
2: By the way, you um, you were right, Justin. It is uh it is the post that ah, okay, that, that so goes with I Pinocchio's. That and that's that's the okay. that's the problem you're saying is bec- if if Hillary Clinton uh was had was lying to the degree that Donald Trump was lying, then there would be parity and symmetry and then all the media could beat up either side, and it wouldn't seem like anyone's being favored. But when, when there's not the parity, you're saying, Donald, like for example, Donald Trump lying a lot more, then it looks like everybody is partisan against Donald Trump.
5: Well, and the problem then is from a voter's perspective, and that's really how I've been thinking about this in my research. So if you think about this strategically from a voter's perspective, where this gets muddled is – It's easy for those of us who are very politically aware and willing to sort of check our own internal biases to hear a statement about uh, the Chinese created global warming as a hoax. And it's easy for somebody like me to recognize very quickly that that is nonsense. Um, But if you are not really politically aware and you hear that statement or hear Donald Trump in a debate deny that he ever made that claim, uh, what do you do with those kinds of statements? Mm. So people who are not very politically aware, if somebody accuses Donald Trump of lying and then Donald Trump says no, you're fake news, what do you do with that? One of two things is is the case. Either... Uh, Both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are equally dishonest and the party system is kind of symmetric, or the journalist accusing Donald Trump of lying is just a shill for the Democratic Party. And since there are a lot of accusations, in particular of liberal media bias, it's relatively easy for a voter who doesn't have a lot of prior political knowledge and political sophistication to conclude that it's just liberal media bias and discount the accusation of lying and in fact it's actually logical to do that and that's where a lot of my research has gone is thinking through uh, what are called signaling models about how that works and if you have A political environment that is kind of asymmetric where one candidate just lies more than the other as for example Donald Trump lying more than Hillary Clinton which he did objectively and you combine that with a complex media environment it actually becomes logical for voters to just discount the the commentary about Donald Trump lying and that actually makes it irrational For journalists to even try to call out Trump's
2: law. Well, then, then, yeah, then it's then it. So it it doesn't make any sense to try to call it out, but then to not call it out, they're shirking their duty. So they're they're in a catch twenty two, right? So so is are we are we at a stage when? I mean, in a way, that's super scary because if if we're not able to call out people and, and like, show what facts are without always being called, you know, partisan, then, boy, what? How, who is going to be watching the kitchen? Who's going to be taking care of the truth-tellers and making sure people are telling uh, truth?
5: Yeah, I think that's a big problem, and I don't know that there, that there is an easy way out, um, or at least I haven't seen one. I mean, the... the the, the, the basic core problem is that if somebody points out when Trump is lying, which he continues to do in in really flagrant ways, it's rational for a voter who is not particularly well-informed to discount journalistic criticism of, of that. And the fact that it is rational for voters to do that takes away journalistic incentives, To to call him out. And and I I I don't see a clear way out Hmm. the 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 journalistic system just hasn't figured out a way to handle. Somebody who lies this much, and
2: couldn't it uh it, it yeah couldn't it just be it's a s- i mean it only i mean i to me it's a it's an enormous problem and i one thing you brought up too is truth telling is one thing and it really is almost like President Trump has his own list of facts and but the facts are they they're not objective they 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 almost can just change with the tide and the facts are so changing so much that we can't always keep up with them which is what the journalists are trying to do is state well no you said this this is this here's the real fact but another point of it is is ideology in a way that usually we have candidates that are so ideologically extreme and and usually paired in idea in ideology that that we we've always had the balance but with President Trump, there really there kind of isn't a balance. There isn't an ideology. So which which is harder, do you think, on the journalists, the lack of ideology or the lack of truth?
5: Um, I think they're both difficult. Um, I, I, ideology has been difficult for journalists because uh, if you look at Congress, uh, Congress is becoming Congress is becoming much more ideologically polarized. So right. This has been a trend that's been going on for decades. Um, for a while, it was relatively easy for journalists to cover, but it got a little bit more difficult starting in the late 1990s and early 2000s because it started to become asymmetric. So if you look at the scores that we use in political science to study uh, congressional ideology, we use a score called a nominate score, which is developed by Keith Poole and howard Rosenthal and If you look at those types of scores in Congress based on congressional voting behavior, the Republican Party has moved more to the ideological, more to the ideological extreme than the Democratic party and as a result of that, you will see things like uh, more use of uh, sort of extreme tactics hmm. on the Republican side. So, for example, threatening a debt ceiling breach in yeah. order to exp-
2: shutting down yeah. government.
5: Yeah, government shutdowns—that that type of thing, which which uh, which the Republican Party has used more than the Democratic Party, and that's been difficult for Republican or for journalists to cover. And that was actually the start of this project uh because i started thinking about how journalists are supposed to cover bargaining bargaining situations when one party demands asymmetric concessions um, and that that in itself is dif- is difficult even though it is really about ideology rather than truth but i actually think that it's the same fundamental problem because any time you have one party that is Breaking the norms more than the other, it creates the same difficulty for journalists Mm. because they don't have a way to say, this situation is not symmetric. Journalists have been trying to signal to voters that they are nonpartisan by uh, following a norm, which is... Both parties are the same. They're mirror images. They're equally extreme, equally guilty of all problems. Hmm. And journalists will then wind up, uh, wind up looking biased anytime they break that norm. So anytime a journalist says, this party is breaking the rules, the other one is not, they look biased, and they do that anytime they say, This party is more extreme. This party is using worse bargaining tactics. This party is lying. I think it's actually the same basic fundamental problem. And it comes down to the fact that we have this journalistic norm of saying both sides do it.
2: Oh, interesting.
5: Both sides don't always do it. I think it's that norm which constrains journalists in all contexts which is the basic problem.
2: So when um, and we'll have to we'll take a break and come back and address this, Justin. But so when President Trump sits there and talks about the media bias, in a way, the bias may be perceived as real. But some of that is because the Republican Congress, the Republican Party is is more unilaterally breaking rules than um, than the Democratic Party party maybe is because we're we there's there's a they the Republican Party may be demanding more asymmetric concessions as you said interesting interesting insight so it's weird because it, it may be what makes us all resonate or many people resonate with the fact that there is a bias but the bias is also <laughs> A reality of a bias that's going on with the Republican Party versus the Democratic Party. Interesting stuff. Stick with us, folks. We'll continue the journey trying to understand partisanship and journalism. Is there a future? What is the future for journalists? Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Dr. Justin Buchler. He is a professor of political science at Case Western University. He studies elections, political parties, and Congress. He has a book that he released in 2011, Hiring and Firing Public Officials, Rethinking the Purpose of Elections. And today he's talking to us about an article he wrote, Does Nonpartisan Journalism Have a Future? Justin, again, thank you so much for being with us.
5: My pleasure.
2: You you bring up such great points, and as we've been talking about it during the break, it really is. Um, th- there's this so the, the nonpartisan media, as you're teaching us, their goal has been to to show that every that they want to treat both parties equally, that both parties are equally uh, problematic, have equal um, trust issues, have all these things, and, and there's supposed to be this parity. Um, but I guess. One of the dilemmas we're running into and some of the data you're showing is th- there that maybe the Republican Party is a little more extreme um, in demanding asymmetric concessions was was your terms. And um, so but then as we try to treat them as as equals as a journalist, so it's not like we can sit and report, OK, Donald Trump just made a comp- an incomplete statement here. This statement is not actually factually true. And then everyone else is wondering, well, why don't you ever say that about the Democrats? Democrats say things that are not true as well. But if you have a president that's doing it five or six or seven times to one, you can't keep up with it.
5: Yeah, that's right. And that's the basic problem. So, I mean, if you look, for example, at some of some statements that Hillary Clinton made, I mean, she she lied a bunch of times and. Uh, there were there were some some big ones like uh, uh, landing in a helicopter under gunfire right. that was one of the ones that got a lot of attention and as soon as she was called on that statement she stopped making it so uh, that was one of the things that got her a pants-on-fire rating from PolitiFact and uh, then it just got dropped from her repertoire because that that was sort of the same type of statement that uh, got uh, I think was was it Brian Williams I, yep. mean, I momentarily forget yeah it was Brian. Brian yeah they got Brian Williams into trouble and but you compare that then to for example Donald Trump who repeatedly asserted that he always opposed the Iraq War which is just factually untrue there's a recording of him on the Howard Stern show saying he supported going into Iraq, and no matter how many times that recording was played, he would just deny, deny, mm. deny. Yeah. And no matter how many times his lies were debunked, he would keep repeating them, and there were always more of them. And you just, you, you simply could not find symmetry. But if you report that both sides lie equally, you are then being dishonest.
2: Yeah. And, and especially on any debunked. issue, right? On any... Issue. They they try to create parity, but if parity doesn't exist, you can't force parity and symmetry. Right,
5: and right, and the problem is if 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 both one if one person is more dishonest than the other, and you assert that both people are equally dishonest, then you are not being honest, and hmm. that's the problem.
2: Boy, so so then you end up as a journalist deciding, okay. So do I want to even get in that game? Plus, not to mention the fact that if you if you push back on Donald Trump, you may get thrown under the bus and your professionalism (laughs) called into question, your fake news. And we've seen various cases of that, plus even backlash where he would, you know, say things in meetings that are in uh, in events that would even put journalists lives maybe a little bit in risk or in jeopardy. So then what decisions now are the journalists having to
5: make? Um, Well, I mean, they have to decide uh, how they handle uh, a a situation when Trump lies. I mean, they can simply ignore it. I mean, part of the problem is that he lies so often that it's just not possible to fact check everything he says. And even when they deal with a Trump lie, uh, the, the problem is how aggressively do they pursue it? do they just call it a lie? There are a lot of people who are uncomfortable with the word lie. I'm using Mm -hmm. it a lot right now, but uh, there are a lot of journalistic outlets that simply want to shy away from the word as though it is somehow too aggressive to use the word lie because it is somehow just so strong uh, that you can't use it because it is impolitic. and. Every journalistic outlet has to decide uh, how how far they're willing to go in in, in dealing with that. Um, it they don't really have any good options right now. Uh, and then we have the basic problem that uh, once they decide that they are going to uh, point out that Trump is lying, they signal. Bias correctly or incorrectly, and audiences will respond accordingly because any audience member any any news consumer who is prone to believe Donald Trump for partisan reasons will conclude that that journalistic outlet is biased mm. because if you are a partisan republican uh, you you have uh incentives psychological incentives to engage in what we call motivated reasoning and what that means is you have to deal with this cognitive dissonance it is hard to hold two inconsistent ideas in your head at once idea one republican party is good idea two republican president lies holding these two ideas in your head at once is uncomfortable. So one of these ideas has to be sort of pushed out or rationalized away. And the simplest way to deal with that is to say, whatever outlet just told me that the president is lying is fake news. So I'm going to go find another outlet. I'm going to go watch Fox News or read a uh, a Republican-leaning news site, Republican blog. Hmm. And then you wind up with uh, the at least the potential for a little bit of polarization in the audiences now this is overstated according to a lot of the research. Uh, a lot of the people who uh, consume news do so as sort of omnivores they'll they'll sort of graze from various news sites, whatever crosses their their uh, 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 news feeds from Facebook or whatever. So it is not the case that people just go to one website, the people who do that are very uh, 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 they're they tend to be very hardcore partisans and're they 're not the ones who are subject to these kinds of processes, but the basic cognitive process of discounting a news story on the basis of that story conflicting with your predispositions, that's something that we've known about in political science and political psychology for a long time.
2: Well, and is is it seems like another issue that's creeping up is, because in my head, I would think, well, okay, we'll cover him less. Just cover the president less. I mean, cover the policies, cover China. You can, you can cover everything, but just cover the president uh, on each of these issues less, except there's a hankerin' and a hungerin', and ratings come by covering President Trump, it seems like. So now then, then you're being driven by, it almost seems, the market to have to cover him to the depth that um, they cover him.
5: Well, it's not just the market. I mean, he is the center of the political system. Uh, There was an argument during the early days of the campaign about whether or not news organizations should cover him and whether or not uh, they were sort of creating a self-fulfilling prophecy of covering him and and making him into a more viable candidate by covering him. But right now, he is the president, and uh, he he gets attention uh, not just from... Uh, the, the journalists who consider themselves nonpartisan, but he gets attention regardless of what the nonpartisan journalists do. He will get attention from Fox News and from the other Republican-aligned media. That means he's getting attention that creates political stories that must be covered by the nonpartisan journalists anyway. So it's not like they really have that option. Well, do they have the Um, option?
2: I mean, but it does seem like when he tweets something out that is extreme and is, I mean, I I have a hard time believing that in three years they're going to be covering him with the same level of intensity when he tweets out something that is stupid after 500 tweets that were just crazy. It seems like... Well, it
5: depends on the tweet. Yeah. Um... It it really depends on the tweet, because if he tweets out something that has the potential of creating a major international incident, then they're going to have to cover it. And uh, depending on what happens between now and three and a half years from now, it is possible that a Trump tweet will create an international incident. We don't know because we don't know what kinds of uh, actions he's going to take. I mean, we're, we are still in the very early days of his presidency, and it's still difficult to say uh, what kinds of foreign policy decisions he's going to make. Um, I mean, he, he uh, launched a missile strike in Syria. He dropped a, a Moab in Afghanistan. But uh, given that we don't know a long-term strategy that the administration will take in either of those locations we don't know what kinds of decisions he's going to make and we don't know what kinds of tweets uh, he might uh, mm. he, he might make and what kinds of uh, consequences there might be.
2: yeah give us a give us a a forecast then what where do you sense this goes over the next? two or three years where does journalism turn how how do you end up playing this journalistic dilemma out
5: i think political science got burned pretty badly with uh, forecasting in the 2016 election so uh, i'm not sure i want to make a forecast <laughs> on that
2: you don't want to go there do you do you sense no. that do you sense that journalists then are we going to are they going to get more partisan or less partisan
5: Um, Well, I I think we're going to continue to have a complicated uh, media environment. There are going to continue to be a lot of journalists uh, who who have a a partisan slant to what they do. They're going to continue to be journalists who try to be uh, nonpartisan and try to be objective. But there's a market for all of that. And that's the basic point is as long as there is a niche in the market for different styles of journalism, different styles of journalism will exist.
2: Do you sense that um, people will get burnt out? Uh, you know, in the muck ra- muckrakers era, do, did people burn out of all of the, you know, the palace intrigue? Is, is there a point where they just are exhausted by it and instead they'd rather just watch Netflix?
5: Um well, a lot of people do that anyway. I mean, most people don 't pay very close attention to politics. This is another thing that uh political junkies need to remember. Those of us who are obsessed with the day to day workings of politics are uh, weird mm. uh, Those of us who who uh, wake up and immediately need to check the news are very strange. Most people. Uh, pay minimal attention to politics simply because they have busy lives and other things they would rather do. Uh, so um, I, I don't think that uh, there's going to be a burnout because I don't think that most people are paying that close attention anymore. Anyway. Yeah, I think
2: you're right on. I think you're right on. Well, Justin, again, thank you so much for your time, for your insight. Uh, Interesting, interesting world we're living in and uh, partisan politics, nonpartisan journalism. It's can you imagine having to balance your professionalism, your need to to go and get the facts and to tell the truth, along with the fact that uh, you have this really for maybe the first time ever, this asymmetric relationship with the president, you know, where ideology, truth. What has been said in the past doesn't necessarily matter. It doesn't matter. Um, Boy, how do you hold someone down to truth? Crazy times. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show helping you make it through this crazy thing called life. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. You know, it's a great point. Um, For so many that are caught up in the political world to the point that they're looking up, you know, the latest news every few hours, it, it maybe it. We need to remember that the majority of people don't. The majority of people are doing other things. They have lives, they have children, they have other blogs, they like podcasts they want, or maybe maybe they're just going to Netflix, which isn't uh, which isn't a bad thing either. Uh, Terry's here. He's got some interesting new stats from Netflix. They
3: had their earnings report yesterday, and it says the company CEO seems to think that uh, they're going to keep adding to their pile of users. I guess you could call them. That's not probably the best way. To yeah, say I would need but a she, pile. You know, it works. <laughs> the streaming service hits 50 million customers. Faces stiff competition from Amazon. Um, they they says they uh, well the, the things that caught my eye one. He was asked, is Amazon or HBO like your main competition? And he goes, it's not necessarily Amazon, not necessarily HBO. He says, we're all in this big ocean and we're all just sort of drops of water. So we're not really affecting each other. What affects us is people go to sleep. If people could just stay up all the time, they'd watch more. (laughs) Yeah, because <laughs> that's we're just trying to. Because people are looking at it, do I sleep or do I watch something like on Netflix or one of these services? He goes, that's really what we're competing against. Yeah, is sleep. Yeah. He also says, uh, they they go, what's the future? He goes, where are your goals going forward? And he goes, well, YouTube streams a billion hours a day. We only stream a billion hours a week, so we have some area to catch up there. Some, they they, some do, they only,
2: Oh, I did not know that.
3: So YouTube is a billion hours a day, yeah. and Netflix, as they say, it's about a billion hours a week total streaming. Now, the part that really hurt my soul to, to a core—
2: oh, oh, boy, your soul's been hurt.
3: What? Netflix signed an exclusive deal with Adam Sandler. Right? I know. This is his, nauseating. His movies are horrible. I can't They're, stand them. I mean, I mean there's a few, Well, there's a few way back that were—I
2: mean— yeah, Waterboy. Then, I mean, there's there's, some, there's a few. The Wedding Singer. Yeah.
3: Th- then he just sort of gave up because there was a threshold where but he now could get an audience. right? And, and they were exclusively on Netflix. There's one that keeps popping up when I turn on Netflix. And I, I saw it, didn't know what it was. So I click on the trailer and I'm like, oh, stop. <laughs> that was Adam Sandler. 500 million hours <laughs> has been spent watching Adam Sandler movies. I saw yesterday. That's It's working. It was 7 million man hours to build the Empire State Building. Right? That's 71 Empire State Buildings. And we spent that watching Adam Sandler.
2: See, that's time you can't get back, folks. That's time. that's just flushed. But it's a, it's an interesting sign of the future that an Adam Sandler can go in, produce a bunch of content for them, and it sells.
3: There's an audience yeah. for everything they're finding. Crazy.
2: He just re-signed another oh, deal. Boy. Good stuff. That means more hours of Adam Sandler. Uh, Netflix, folks, it's taking over. We'll take a break. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us.
0: This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU.
1: This is The
2: Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this show to give you the latest, greatest research, tools, the information you need to live a healthier, happier life. Happy days and happy tax day to you. I mean, I know for a lot of you, it's a really difficult day. For many of you, like Terry, it's, you know, you've already received your refund and you are, uh, you know, redoing your backyard.
3: Well, that'll happen at some point.
2: For the rest of us, you know, we're 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 still talking to our tax experts, answering a few extra questions, trying to figure out which children no longer do we receive deductions for. <sighs> tough times, tough times. Which ones you renounce? Yeah, oh, yeah. Last time we we had actually taken one of our children as a deduction, but he had filed individually, and it ended up creating havoc. Right. Because these children just don't get how valuable they are to you as a tax deduction. <laughs> I <get
3: it. laughs> they don't get it. That's funny.
2: Um, it's also, by the way, National Animal Cracker Day. This is the day you get to just. Hmm. Sounds time. like more like a chip. That sounds like a potato chip or a stale cracker. Well, which could be an animal cracker. Could be. Yeah, there's certain animal crackers. I like the ones that are covered in like that yogurt white. With the sprinkles? Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the pink spring, pink and white. Oh, yeah. I could eat those all day. Mm. And as we've talked about, I like to eat the ears, maybe the legs. You know, if you're going to eat an animal cracker, you may as well impair them.
3: Can't you just pop the whole thing in your mouth? They're kind of small. Well, you can. but Then it's over quickly. It's more humane. <laughs> it's humane we way. have to
2: savor them. Yeah. They would want to be savored, don't you think? I don't like know, I would, would you, want somebody to appreciate me.
3: Yeah, if they're going to eat you.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> Let's just not even go there. Um, today we have a very interesting topic, revenge. Hmm. We will be talking about revenge with a professor of psychology. And the interesting thing is um, it's a very complicated issue. And we always say that revenge is sweet, but it isn't always sweet. Sometimes it's very bitter. And there's some beautiful, though, research about, I think, humans when you get into revenge. Mm. Because revenge in the end doesn't make you happy unless the revenge changes the offender. Then it becomes kind of beautiful. Not that you ever need to seek revenge, but the only revenge that makes one happy in the end is if you see the offender learning from the revenge. See, as a moviegoer, I – you know, a lot of people will like
4: to go see those Taken films. They're all yeah. about revenge. Yeah. And yet the only way in which the offender is changed is they die.
2: Yeah. So is that beautiful? No. Because – and it, the, the, the research would even show that that kind of revenge doesn't help the person who's been offended. They might feel like the sweetness of, yes – the he revenge
4: died. business has been very sweet for Liam Neeson.
3: Yes. Well, for the rest of us, with those movies, it just gets progressively worse because he ma- apparently makes it worse because then there's another movie. Well, now there needs to be as more the revenge. the story continues yeah, with more it's revenge and then it just makes work. a worse movie. And, yeah.
2: In the end, though, revenge just usually doesn't pay off for any of us. Except the only reason Unless you're would, Liam Neeson. Unless you're Liam Neeson making millions. Uh, by the way, your namesake. You were named mm. after Liam. no. After the Taken series started. No. Hmm. I didn't change my name a few years back. Oh, didn't you? No. How do we know that? Anywho, we'll get to that fun in a few minutes, um, plus a little uh, talk about spring cleaning. It's time to open those windows, get the rugs out, put them out on the line, start banging the sticks against the rugs to get the dust out.
3: Or just vacuum.
2: Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Try to pull the vacuum out. All that fun. Straight ahead. But first to the headlines with our own Terry South. Terry, what's going on?
3: The Arkansas Supreme Court issued an order on Monday to bar Judge Wendell Griffin from hearing death penalty cases in the state following his participation in an anti-death penalty protest right after he ruled on Friday in the case. Griffin had issued a temporary restraining order on... Arkansas from rapidly executing six prisoners in 11 days before the state supply of lethal injection drugs expire at the end of the month. When he left the courthouse, he went to the rally, laid down on a cot, and tied himself to it as if he were condemned. By Saturday, Arkansas Attorney General Leslie Rutledge had asked the state's high court to reverse Griffin's ruling and to assign a new judge to the case. Today, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled uh, rejecting a request by the state of Arkansas to execute one of the condemned men scheduled to die before the end of April. The death warrant for 56-year-old Don Davis was set to expire just 10 minutes after the Supreme Court decision came down. This is one of them last-minute, you know, jailhouse phone yeah. calls you're waiting for. Their health, Supreme Court. Democratic and Republican congressional aides say former National Security Advisor Susan Rice did nothing wrong regarding surveillance procedures and unmasking of American names. NBC News reported on Monday, Rice has maintained that she did nothing wrong but did not deny that she sought to unmask names during her tenure as National Security Advisor, which is part of her job to kind of look yeah. at the intelligence people tried to turn that into something bigger. It seems Americans are losing faith in President Trump. A new Gallup poll released Monday shows less than half of Americans believe their commander-in-chief keeps his promises, a sharp decline from nearly two-thirds who believe in Trump in February. Just 45% of respondents in Monday's poll said they believe President Trump keeps his promises down from 62% two months ago. There was a, uh, a uh, there was a poll yesterday, you were sure Rasmussen? Was that the, yes. ra- the yeah. Rasmussen poll showing that he had a 50% approval rating? You were asking me, yeah, kind what of, is what's about? the status of that poll? A lot of pollsters don't like Rasmussen because they only use landlines in their polling.
2: Which, you know, is is the older generation, And right? the
3: biggest trend with phones is nobody has landlines anymore. They all use cell phones. And so it seems Land that Rasmussen lines. is... Missing a huge part of the electorate when they go out there and ask people. Yeah. Treasury Secretary Steve Munchen admitted Monday that getting tax reform bill to President Trump's desk by August is not realistic. Munchen uh, himself originally set the deadline for late February, so that passed, just a week after he was sworn in to lead the Treasury Department. Um, he's just saying it's a really difficult thing, and it's not going to happen. The lack of a health care bill complicates taxes, so we'll oh. see how that goes. Trump also alluded to this in a Fox News interview last week. On Sunday, a group—this uh, is the end, finally. Oh on Sunday, a group of demonstrators showed up in front of the AT and T building at 33 Thomas Street in New York to call attention to the purported NSA activity going on in that building and to exercise the malevolent or malevolent energy and inform, information coursing through the AT Wow. Participants wore tinfoil hats, held mirrors up in the building to create a giant surveillance feedback loop as a creative and colorful and quite over-the-top and funny is kind of the protest. Noah Harley, one of the organizers, said that the estimated 60 to 70 people showed up overall. Uh, during the demonstration, they called on many people, including Dale Earnhardt Jr., Confucius, Max, Malcolm X, and <laughs> Gandhi to confuse and foil this building's operation, prevent this building from successfully collecting information from now on, prevent this building from exerting fear from now on. And it goes on and wow. on and on. So they protested and alleged NSA su- say it was successful because first on a physical level because we think the building shrunk by about 40 feet – which corresponds to the space they fill the two floors that NSA was using, allegedly. (laughs) No one actually knows. In addition to any physical changes that might have caused the building, Hartley says, uh, also helped call attention to the collusion between the NSA and AT&T. Yeah. Wow. Weird. So they performed an exorcism on a building in New York.
2: And uh, did they get any new data from any of these people they were channeling?
3: Apparently not. I'm not sure why Dale Earnhardt Jr. was involved, but...
2: He's just a great racer. He was there. (laughs) How crazy is that? Boy, that's one you don't want to miss. Don't want to miss that. Interesting stuff. So much to talk about today.
3: Right. Oh, hold on, Matt. Oh, what? I've just been informed from the other room. Apparently, we're getting a phone call. Your, Your tax guy's on the phone.
2: My tax guy? Why would he
3: be calling the show?
2: I have no idea. My tax guy's calling? My tax guy, Walter's his name. And, uh, okay, let's do this. Let's just take the call because I want to, I mean, everybody today, it's, you know, today's the day you're turning in your tax form. So, uh, Walter apparently has some questions for me. Walter, are you there?
4: Mr. Townsend, uh, it's me. It's Walter Crick.
2: Hello, Walter. Uh, So, are the taxes done? Are we all ready to go?
4: Well, you know, they're almost done. I I just need to ask you a few questions regarding, you know, those taxes that you just filed. And, uh, you know, I just want to say, Your full cooperation is greatly appreciated. I do have your full cooperation, don't I, Mr. Townsend?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Full. I mean, they're my taxes, so I've been fully cooperating the entire time. I will be. I'll be compliant. I'll whatever. Yeah, yeah. Let's just. What do you need to know? What do you need to know?
4: Let's begin, Uh, Mr. Townsend. I understand that in addition to working as a full-time employee at BYU Broadcasting, uh, you run a separate business as a relationship
1: coach. Yeah, I do. I do. Okay. Uh
4: Well, uh, on Form 8829, you deducted $1,000 for in-app purchases you made as uh, the mayor of a place called uh, Townsend Abbey.
2: Yes. Yes, I did.
4: Let's just ignore for the time being the fact that, you know, as a mayor, you should have filled out different paperwork. But let's just focus on the fact that business purchases need to be items that you, you know, exclusively use for your business. Is uh, is this Sim City game something you use exclusively for your business, Mr.
5: Townsend? Uh,
2: yeah, it's something I use exclusively at my business, uh-huh. at my place of business. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah, and as I prepare to do my business, yeah,
4: you're playing it right now as we're speaking, aren't you? Yes,
2: I am. Yes, I'm just checking on it. You you reminded me that I have to uh, get the ship loaded to get all my Stuff sent out okay, to Europe. You could
4: put your phone down. Let's let's move on. Okay, go right now ahead. Now I see here several receipts from Chili's, uh, where it looks like you ordered an unusually large number of shrimp salads, and uh, it looks like you're claiming the eight percent tips you left were charitable donations. But you know, surely you must know that your waitress—I I see her name was uh, Darlene. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not a five hundred one c three charitable organization, and you know, even if she was, come on, eight hmm. percent—that's hardly charitable. Mr.
2: Well, Darlene. I don't know, Walter. Have you ever met Darlene? You never met her, have you? No,
4: but. I'm if sure, you knew her, you know, she's a single mother trying to get
1: by. She's
2: fantastic, and and if you knew her, you'd realize that her service was incredibly charitable. So eight uh, percent tips seem more than fair to me. It all, I mean, it's double what I normally do.
4: You know, Mister Townsend, I I'm supposed to remain neutral and professional, but uh, as a human being, you sir, you just make me sick. <laughs> oh. But uh, it's yeah, rude. let's just finish this up. We're nearly through, Mr. Townsend. Just a couple more questions. Now, I understand your son is running for student body president. Is that correct? Yeah,
2: yeah, he's yeah, he ran. Well, he ran.
4: That's yeah. very admirable. You know, I, I wish him luck. You know, if he if he wants to win, though, I, he may want to distance himself from you as quickly as possible. It seems here you've deducted several fruit baskets to various administrators and advisors. Yeah. So what else can you tell me about those fruit baskets? Sounds well, I mean, I mean,
2: I was just trying to help, uh, you know, spread the joy, the love. Um, some some people call them bribes, but I, I just call see. them love sharing baskets.
4: But but Mr. Townsend, that according to Code Section One Six Two Subsection C, that you know that, that says that bribes and kickbacks are not deductible.
2: No. Right. Yeah. Those weren't bribes. Pardon me? Those were not bribes. Those were love. Some people say that those are bribes, but some people, I just call them love baskets of love and fruit. Enjoy. All right. One last
4: question, Mr. Townsend. You have uh, six children I see here. Is that correct?
2: Yes, I do. Yeah. Six. Yeah. Six of them.
4: Now, that's strange. I'm, I'm seeing here you've got another couple of dependents for whom you failed to provide Social Security numbers, which, mm. as you know, are required to claim them as dependents. Yeah. Uh, looks like their names are Rock or Rocky and uh, Chip.
2: Yeah. 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 I don't have they don't have Social Security's uh, numbers yet. They're kind of new. They're kind of recent. I just recently we got I we we got those two.
4: So these are these are your children then?
2: Mm, yeah, they're they're let's just say they're a chip off the old block. You know what I mean? They're they're kind of they're my offspring. They're.
4: I see. Yeah. So uh, you want to claim them as dependents?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, they're they say passing a kidney stone is very much like having oh, a child, and, and so Townsend, I, these I, are. I think, I, these are like Townsend, children.
4: I think we, I have all the information I need to finish up my report. Okay. Thank you for your time. Good, no,
2: thank you, Walter. Oh, and have have a nice have a nice day. Wait,
4: wait, one more one more piece of advice, Mister yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if I were you, I uh, I wouldn't plan on leaving the country anytime soon. Mm. Wow. You have a good day, sir.
2: Thanks, Walt. Wow. I wonder what that means. Not going to. Did Walter seem angry to you?
3: A little bit. See, when I do my taxes, I, it isn't followed up with a warning not to leave the country. I know. And then he got all – That's usually something when maybe a legal procedure is in the future. They yeah. want to you know, contact you for further yeah. information.
2: He – he. I don't know. He's kind of moody.
3: Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to use him anymore after – maybe I shouldn't he say didn't, that. He didn't seem to be working with your ideal of what you want your taxes to look like. Right. Yeah.
2: He had a lot of weird questions. And he questioned my integrity a lot. Mm. Those kind of seemed like legitimate questions, though. It almost seemed like you were trying to cut corners a little. What do you mean? No, I mean I'm running a town. I'm running a business. I'm running a show. I have new family members. I mean, I'm, I'm a busy man. And he's questioned if I'm bribing people.
3: And is a fruit basket a bribe? No.
2: I mean, seriously. It's a fruit basket yeah. with $100 in it. It's not a bribe. Oh, well, there
3: was cash in the in the, in the the basket? You so, might want to disclose that. I don't well, there wasn't cash. He may not have known that. It was
2: gift cards. It was gift cards. But not cash. No one would give cash.
3: Gift cards to where? And that may be the To the deciding. bank. It was like a oh, Visa card. okay. Yeah, that's...
2: Who's going to well, put $100 yeah. cash in? Yeah. You just give a Visa card.
3: Like, it's like cash.
2: I don't think I would ever buy one of those Visa cards because there's always a fee
4: that you have to pay on top of the $100.
2: I didn't – I'm not paying a fee. I just paid the $100. So you, you didn't pay the fee either? No. Hmm. I gave him a basket.
4: It seems like you're very interested in paying as little as possible. Why
2: are we not talking about the charitable donation that I gave? I give it every time I go to a restaurant, charitable your, donation.
3: Your 8% tip? Yeah. It's kind of cheap. It's
2: double what normally I normally
3: do usually you four
2: depends on the service. Wow, wow. this lady was incredible though. she just killed it. Anywho we, we hope all y'all are uh, having a great tax day. Hope you have better meetings than I just had with Walt. Bad idea doing that on the radio. Never doing that again. Stick with us when we come back we'll be talking about revenge. Is it sweet? Apparently not. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. An eye for an eye will only make the world blind, Mahatma Gandhi once said. Today we're discussing revenge. Why do we seek it? Does revenge make us actually feel better? And here to answer these questions is psychology professor Dr. Susan Boone. She's an associate professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Calgary and uh, is a social psychologist by training, is passionate about the topic of personal relationships and uh, has a particular fascination with their darker side of relationships. Susan, thank you so much for being with us today.
6: You're welcome. It's my pleasure.
2: This is, uh, I think, a very interesting topic of revenge. Um, Now, talk to us. Why? I mean, is revenge, it seems like it's a very kind of natural thing that we're drawn to as humans.
6: Absolutely. There's all kinds of evidence that it's uh, evolutionarily based and that we're not, it's not just people, it's not just humans who take revenge. There's certain animal species where there's evidence of that. So it seems to be something that's kind of hardwired into our systems and there's evidence of it in the historical records as far back as it goes in pretty much every culture.
2: And what are we seeking with revenge? Is Are we trying to, is it about equalizing the injustice? Is it about inflicting the same pain? What is it we're after when we're in seeking revenge?
6: I think there's a variety of different goals that it can serve, but I mean, both of those for sure are are big reasons that people take revenge, big motivations. There's a number of others as well.
2: What are some of the others?
6: Uh, sometimes, at least our participants, you know, and, and we're talking with people and we're talking with them face-to-face on some occasions, so it's a little hard to know if you can take what they say as the gospel truth, but sometimes they say it's about trying to deter behavior. You know, trying to make sure that someone doesn't do the same thing over again. Sometimes they talk about how they're trying to induce empathy in the other person, in the person who provoked them or harmed them, by giving them a taste of their me- their own medicine, so that the the person who harmed them knows what it feels like. And again, it's sort of the idea of educating them. So you know, I don't want you to. Uh, I want you to know what this feels like, so you don't do it to me again. So you realize it's hurtful. It's harmful. Um, sometimes we talk about doing it for pro-social reasons, so less so in relationships. You don't find a whole lot of this. in, in, in when we speak with people about revenge in their romantic relationships, but particularly some of the work on workplace revenge suggests that they're doing it sort of you know to to help themselves and their coworkers out. You know when they've got a a nasty boss and and they they want to do something to sort of send that boss a message that helps not only them but also their coworkers in that organization.
2: Interesting. So that is, I mean, you know, we're, we're going to make it. We may go down in flames, but we're going to make it so the boss doesn't keep doing this to everyone else. But you brought up uh, interpersonal relationships, marriages, things like that. Revenge takes place in those relationships as well. It might be more subtle, it seems like. But, you know, ignoring somebody that's that has hurt your feelings or uh, rejecting, you know, touch. And uh love and if if somebody has offended or hurt us. Talk about um revenge in relationships like marriage.
6: Uh we haven't personally studied married couples. Most of our participants are in dating relationships, but we I, I did have uh an interview one time with a woman who wanted to get even with her husband and chose not to, which is a good thing because she c- contemplated killing him, actually. But, yeah, wow. there's every reason to believe that it happens. You know, If it happens in dating relationships, I don't see any particularly good reason it wouldn't happen in marital relationships. And, of course, there's all kinds of uh, the stuff that makes it to the news is often occurring between rom- uh, married partners or former married partners. There was just a case up here in, down east in Canada somewhere where someone burnt down Uh, Ex-husband's house, I think, is what Mm. happened. Or it might have been the ex-wife's house. I cannot quite recall.
2: Is it... Does something come over somebody that's seeking revenge? Is it... Do they actually lose some of their competency as they're so caught up in the need and the desire to seek revenge?
6: You know, I think that's a common thing to think. But I'm... You know, I think it may in some cases. You know, certainly if, if it's a very, very severe provocation and the person responds you know, in a rage, in a fit of rage, and they're, and they're not thinking straight. I think that's possible. But certainly in our research, the kinds of things that people were p- reporting having done or in some some of our studies having done to them were much milder and more mundane and occasionally not taken, not enacted right away. You know, they had a little bit of time to calm down. So I don't think, I mean, sometimes they had, there was a little bit of planning involved. They don't think that they're necessarily, I think in most cases, they're they're not sort of overcome with rage and not mm. thinking clearly.
2: Yeah, it's premeditated in a way. They're, well, they're yeah, planning yeah. it.
6: In some cases, yes.
2: Is um, they always say that uh, revenge is sweet? But in your research, a lot of the data shows it's probably more bittersweet. Talk about talk about the bitter side of it. What what does come of revenge, and what is does it still turn out sweet for people?
6: Um, most of that research is not my research, and Steve Yoshimura's research, the lead author on the article that uh, that you heard of, but. What we think may be going on there is that people's sense as to what they will gain from revenge is just, just not accurate. So for one thing, if you think about it, you know that you're responding to a provocation, you're responding to something that's already happened. Well, nothing you do after it's happened can undo what was done to you. And so part of it we think is that there's a, a misunderstanding a misunderstanding of what, what can be achieved or just how good it will feel to see the other person suffer. And also in terms of the, the, the likelihood that it's not going to be that sweet is that there are potential consequences both for you as the Avenger and for the person, the target, the Avengee. You, you may take revenge in such a way that the effects are more severe than you intended or that you wanted. There could be other people that are harmed. And, you know, that may be something that you didn't count on when you first decided to take revenge and are feeling perhaps guilty about. There are strong social norms against revenge. It's not something, especially in certain kinds of relationships, it's something that's deeply frowned upon. So there are self-esteem and self-image concerns, public self-image concerns. Perhaps you are now Tainted in the eyes of your your social network as the kind of person who's vindictive and petty and who won't let things go. There are all kinds of reasons that it it could end up being something other than uh, the victory, the ven- the vindication that you're hoping for.
2: Oh wow! I and I never thought of so many of those. That yeah, there's it's there is a backlash socially. We we then don't trust people that uh, seek revenge. Except it's then it's such a natural. It's such a natural phenomenon huh we, we It's natural to all of us, and yet we don't trust those that overtly seek it out
6: yes you know in 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 contemporary Western society at least this is not you know revenge is something that's it's really quite quite viewed quite negatively, and so to be known as the kind of person who engages in revenge that's that's a negative thing. We're currently in, engaging in some early early research looking at revenge via social media, so through Facebook and Twitter and things like that. And one of the reasons that we think this is a really interesting new way of getting revenge is that depending on how you go about it, you can remain anonymous or it could be ha- perhaps be less clear that you're the person that's undertaking the revenge. And that might diminish some of those concerns around developing a negative reputation. But absolutely, given that people... View revenge quite dimly. They condemn it in in a you know when it's when it's real and happening in in your social network. We're not usually like yeah you know we, we see it in the movies we're like wow that's great when when uh, Luke Skywalker gets his revenge against the Emperor you know that that's good but in real life we don't seem to find it quite so uh, enjoyable and such a good thing. So people are concerned about that that social image and 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 having a, a tainted reputation, a damaged reputation, a tarnished reputation because you've done something that other people think it was wrong.
2: How do you not get caught up in the wave of – because the pain – I mean I I see it a lot with divorcing couples and Mm. who caught their partner having an affair or doing something and um, they just have such a hard time of getting rid of the thought so they keep thinking I guess of ways to make this person pay but I I guess you can get to a point where making someone pay – makes it so you never live.
6: It certainly could, yeah, if you're consumed by thoughts of revenge or just, you know, really find yourself preoccupied with some, that, that would be a very difficult situation to find yourself in. And, you know, what the research is suggesting here is that even if you took revenge, you're not going to feel any better. And now you've got all kinds of reasons, particularly if anyone else knows that you've done this, you know, now your your image is tar- tarnished and maybe you're not so proud of yourself for, for giving in to the urge and... Um, you know, there's there's potential for the, for that to sort of compound. It doesn't really reduce your anger. It may not reduce your anger. You may not feel any better about what you've done now that they are suffering. Mm. Even if you do, you've got to contend with the fact that people know what you've done.
2: Well, and it's like the two wrongs don't make a right. Exactly. And, but but then too, there are real people that need to be stopped from doing, um, you know, painful things to each other. It, it almost seems like there is an appetite for this, as there's other there's television shows like Cheaters or other shows where they they go almost socially try to shame people for what they've done or are doing. And um, is is there any social benefit to revenge?
6: Well, that's that's a very good question, and the research does suggest that there that there are there are some. Um, some people who study revenge who think that revenge can serve important informal social regulation um, purposes. So, you know, something like shaming someone, I mean, if you're not directly harming them, if you're if you're taking them down a notch or two by, by highlighting what they've done publicly, that doesn't necessarily imply that you're a vindictive person. If they cheat on you and you cheat back in return, okay, you're not looking so good. But if all you do is bring to the broader tension of your social network how they've mistreated you, you know, that could be considered revenge. Uh, a fair bit of what our participants do when it's relational revenge is that kind of reputation defamation is the word that we use. So they spread gossip, or they um, sometimes they will share secrets that they've been told. That kind of thing doesn't necessarily make you look bad, but it clearly communicates to the, your social network what this person has done hmm. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one obvious benefit there.
2: And I guess part of it's crossing (laughs) the line, right? Because I mean, it's one thing to defame someone's reputation. It's another thing to just tell the truth. And, you know, like, yeah, he had an affair. And I'm not going to keep that secret anymore. um, But I'm also not going to spread it. I guess that's the line that every person has to make individually.
6: Well, we had a a participant in one of our earliest studies who, you know, I think she was starting to realize that she'd crossed the line, that she'd gone too far, that she should have been over it by now. Um, She, her ex-boyfriend at the time, had unregistered her from all of her courses at university, unbeknownst to her, of course. So she shows up for final exams, ready to write does all that studying and everything, gets there, is not allowed to write because she's not actually registered in the course anymore. So she lost an entire term. So she was very angry and did all the right things in terms of bringing it to the university's attention. And the, the ex-boyfriend, was he was silly enough to have done this at a, at a public computer terminal where he was on camera, so they knew it was him, so they did disciplinary action. But she didn't feel it was severe enough. And even a couple of years later she was really, really angry about this. So she did things like write to people, to prospective employers and prospective graduate programs and things like that huh. and tell them what he had done. And this is a couple of years later when she's talking to us, and she was having problems in her current relationship because she clearly wasn't over this. Yeah,
2: she wasn't moving on.
6: Yeah, she wasn't moving on. And so you, you, you know that line between, you know, at what point did her decision to share with others, what he had done and how he had harmed her. At what point did it cross over, like you're saying, from from tr- telling the truth to sort of an excessive form of revenge? I mean, a little bit of letting people know that he'd done this would, I think, you know, few people would say was inappropriate. But at one point, you know, how many months or years later does it become a problem for her, an indication that, sh- that she needs to work through her feelings as well as, a, a, you know, maybe sort of, it might appear to other people as a warning sign that, wow, you know, this woman, this woman doesn't forget. She no. certainly doesn't forgive. No,
2: exactly, and it doesn't necessarily. In a weird way, it, it just makes her more angry, more. Uh, more dark and more pain that she has to now source through and and, and push through. We'll take a break and continue this discussion with Susan Boone. She is a a professor of um, psychology and social psychology talking to us um, about revenge. It isn't always sweet, folks, and a lot of times we can't determine how we will actually feel after uh, seeking revenge with somebody. So maybe forgiveness is the, the attitude we ought to take. We'll take a break, come back, find out some more information about forgiving instead of seeking revenge up next. Stick with us. friends to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about revenge. It isn't always sweet and uh, joining us to talk about it on the line is Professor Susan Boone. She's a professor at the University of Calgary and is in the Department of Psychology there. Also has a wonderful website personalrelationships.ca and is uh, really just helping us understand this issue of revenge, which is such a natural thing. But doesn't necessarily pay out the sweet uh, the sweet results that we we might think it does. Uh, thank you again, Susan, for being with us. You're welcome. When you um, when you look at it, uh, the, the, I guess part of it is that there's really a system of play going on here. And do you see where do you see? Um, I mean, I know symmetry. You want it sounds like what people want from revenge, really, where it, where it seems to help, if it does help at all, is if I see the person change that is harming people. Mm-hmm. Is that is that the ultimate reason we're see? I mean, where we derive more pleasure, I guess healthier pleasure, is if we can see that there's change?
6: I think that's definitely one of the factors that can contribute to that sense of pleasure with it. I think it also depends, is this an act, you know, are you the person who suffered originally or are you watching... Are you an observer? Are you are you present when when someone else is, is taking revenge and you weren't the original victim? There's a little bit of work looking at the aesthetic appeal of revenge. I think that that aesthetic appeal would be different if, if you were the original victim or if you're just watching. So if you're looking at movies and things like that or stories that people tell each other about revenge then it's less so about the person changing and more about... You mentioned symmetry earlier, so proportionality of consequences, for example, is very important, the extent to which there's a reasonable calibration between the harm that was done to the victim and the harm that the victim then meets upon the, the, the original perpetrator. But if you are looking at when you yourself are the victim and so you're retaliating, you're taking revenge, then I think it's the research is definitely suggesting that it's important that that, that sense of sweetness, that sense of satisfaction, psychological satisfaction or pleasure at, at what you've done is definitely heightened if that message has come across, if the, the person on the receiving end, the target of the revenge, understands what is being done and why it's being done, and if they then... Um, perhaps commit to changing their behavior, I mean, in a relationship context, if it's an ongoing relationship, then that seems to be really important. People are more likely to say that the revenge that they took had a positive outcome if it changed the partner's behavior in a positive way, exactly as you suggested.
2: Interesting. And I guess you just have to keep the revenge in check.
6: I right. think so. I think that's that's a really really important thing. And of course, there's all kinds of psychological processes that that complicate that process of of trying to calibrate appropriately and, and you know match match the degree of harm that's da- been done. And uh, for one thing, when you're the victim, uh, you tend to perceive whatever's been done to you, the wrongdoing, as more severe than the person who actually took those actions, so the offender thinks that the harm that they've caused is less severe than you do. So when then you retaliate, of course, you're retaliating in, in concert with what your perception was, and it's likely to come across to the target, to the person who was the original offender, as more severe than what they did. So we have a sort of natural, inbuilt bias that would tend to promote cycles of revenge that escalate.
2: Hmm. Yeah, that's – boy, that interpretation is a big deal and especially – it almost seems like you got to manage your interpretation but also you have to manage kind of the reactivity of it. So it's not coming out of your most reactive self. Then I guess to me that would change the definition. So it's now – to me, revenge is uglier versus – You know, consequences or other things. If I thought it out, played it out, made the right interpretation, did it in a healthier way, still wanted to have the long term relationship and kept that in play, then I might not call it revenge anymore. I would just call
6: it, you know, learning. Yeah, yeah. Well, And you raise a really good point there, because in our original set of interviews, I think there were only three people that used the word revenge. We were very careful not to. We asked people to tell us about a time when they'd gotten even ah. at a romantic partner, or they'd gotten back at a romantic partner. And uh, I believe there were only three people that spontaneously, of their own decision, used the word revenge. And if I remember properly, two of them used it to say, well, I didn't get revenge. You know, huh. they denied that what they were doing was revenge. So I, I think, you know, when we do this work, we're often very, very careful in language that we use, and it's because we think that there's sort of a, you know, the minute you use the word revenge, I, I, I like to sort of use the analogy of capital R, revenge, and little r, revenge. Yeah, there you go. And, you know, so when you think of, of revenge, the kind of stuff that hits the media, you know, you're looking at Lorena Bobbitt, right. and, you know, slicing body parts off, and or, you know, burning yachts and burning houses, and... And branding people, and you know, very violent, sometimes murderous acts. I mean, the, te- the stuff that hits the news is, is is extreme, and so that's what comes to mind. So if you ask people, you know, when's the last time you got revenge? Well, they, if they think with the capital R, then they're like, well, never. You know, I would never mm-hmm. do that. We had all kinds of people, also being very, very clear to us that they'd never been physical when they'd taken revenge. So it, as you had mentioned earlier, it's more things like giving people the cold shoulder, or spreading a rumor, or giving them the silent treatment. Um, you know deliberately being late when they know the person knows they don 't like them being late. It was those sort of milder, more mundane kind of everyday actions is what we found in our research yeah that, you know, especially in, especially in relationships and romantic relationships, especially especially when they were ongoing ones I mean you do have to be like you said very very careful if you want that relationship to persist. After you get even or take revenge, then you've got to be very careful in determining what you're going to do because you send, you do send clear messages Yeah. when you, when you take this action. If it, if, if it can be tied back to you and the person on the receiving end knows that you're the one that did it and you're wanting to maintain a relationship with them, then you've got to be careful that that message isn't something like, I don't value you. I will treat you any old way I feel like if you cross me. You know, I'm not a person to be messed with. I mean, some of those messages are kind of strong and kind of harsh, and a partner ought to run away at the first sign of those if if those are the messages you're sending,
2: yeah. and if you're I mean, if your motives and response aren't aligned to your values and your principles, you're going to pay for your revenge anyway. you're You're yeah. just going to keep suffering.
6: Yeah, or if or if they reveal those motives and principles to be vindictive and petty and unforgiving and so on and so forth and, and disrespectful of the other individual, then they will they'll they'll make that they'll make those decisions accordingly, they'll say, you know I'm I'm not into this. And in one of the studies with Steve we asked people what they'd learned from being the victims or the targets of revenge and that's what some people learned, that you know, it's not worth having a relationship with that person. Mm. They're the kind of person who can't forgive. They're the kind of person who's vindictive and petty, and you know, I don't want to be with them.
2: I, I know a lot of your work, um, your research is around, and, and, um, is around this idea of forgiveness. How does forgiveness and unforgiveness tie into revenge?
6: You know, that's a really interesting question, and interestingly enough, when when I look at those things, I tend not to look at them in concert. So we've never really asked people, you know, you took revenge, why didn't you forgive? Or you forgave, why didn't you take revenge? But they're clearly tied together. And one of the really interesting things that some people have found in their work is that there's nothing saying that you can't do both. You maybe can't do them simultaneously. I mean, obviously, forgiving and and spanking someone for their bad behavior at the same time seems a little bit incompatible, but there is some work suggesting that in in the real world, real married couples, real dating partners, don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, a little bit of punishment that fits the crime, and then forgiving you after I know that, you know, when I know, when I'm sure that you know what you've done is wrong, now I can forgive you. And I guess the one thing I would say in terms of the literature is that, This this is a bit. I need to be a little bit careful when I say this, but there's there's some evidence that forgiveness is maybe not always the best course of action if you want your romantic partner to learn what they've done wrong, because so often when we forgive, we don't. A lot of it just sort of left unspoken, right? You don't go and say, "I forgive you." The person doesn't say, "Please forgive me." I mean, that can happen, but the research shows that that's fairly rare. So forgiveness tends to be more indirect. And it's kind of like just because things go back to the way they were. And depending on what's been done and how much negative interaction, negative behavior is going on in that relationship, if things just kind of return to normal, the partner who's committing these wrongdoings, whose behavior is is routinely upsetting you, may not get the message. They may not realize that what they're doing is wrong and it upsets you. And so sometimes a little bit of, you know, you want to call it revenge, you want to call it punishment, you want to call it getting back. You know, I don't exactly know what to call it in every instance. And we, we debate among ourselves, revenge researchers, you know, what's yeah. the difference between revenge and punishment. Um, but sometimes, there, like you said, there need to be consequences. And, and it's okay for there to be a consequence. Some of this research is starting to suggest that sometimes it's better if there's a consequence so that the person learns... I agree. That, that educational function, that deterrence function, only if they know what they've done wrong, only if they know that what they did hurt you, can they then choose, if they wish, to change that behavior.
2: It's a and system, if, right? And if the system never gets any feedback, exactly. real feedback that it needs to change exactly. because we forgive so quickly. I mean, I guess that, so there is a difference between I can forgive and feel love towards you again and still you need to go get help about what you did.
6: Absolutely. Or you need to know that it's not appropriate and that you know that, you know, I forgive you this time if you try it again, I'm sorry. You know that that's Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's absolutely
2: that's healthy, right? I mean healthy means there has to be actual learning, actual change taking place, not just words being and I guess this is what's so complicated about all of this, Susan, is just the terms we use. Like even when you make the comment and now I could see why you have to be careful saying it, that forgiving isn't always the key like it's not always best but it you're right it's there's more to life than forgiving it's also forgiving and learning and changing and growing and we just use the terms and then the terms kind of mess us up like revenge is a term it's just a word but you can have big r little r revenge and it impacts big piece or little piece
6: yes and and there's there are differences if you Specifically with forgiveness, there hasn't been much research yet. I'm not aware of any research looking at what revenge means to people, which is, now you're making me think of it. That's interesting, there. yeah. But when it comes to forgiveness, there's actually been a handful of studies looking at, you know, how do, how do real people define forgiveness? And one of the things that's, that's uh, really clear is they don't define it the same way that, that researchers do. And there are these beliefs out there in the general public that sort of to forgive is to forget. Right. To forgive means that you've got to reconcile with that person. You've got to stay with them. You've got to still be friends. You've got to still be romantic partners. These things have to go back to normal, back to the way they were. And researchers and and, and re- forgiveness scholars would say no. You know that's that. You know there's there's forgiving, and then there's reconciling, and those are two different things. And sometimes you can forgive and never ever tell that person. You can forgive within yourself and move on. Uh, in a positive direction in your own life without ever communicating that forgiveness to the other person.
2: So true. Susan, awesome stuff. Susan Boone's her name. Go check out uh, her website, personalrelationships.ca, and uh, you can get some great insight there as well. And uh, keep it up, folks. Remember, revenge, it's just a lot of it's about the terms, but it's its more about the spirit you feel. Are you seeking to help truly or just hurt If you hurt people, you're going to keep feeling pain. Trust me. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. When we come back, we'll be talking spring cleaning with Caitlin Thomas. Back in a bit. Spring is in the air, folks. The Easter Bunny has come and gone, and the sun has decided to come out full time now. Which also means one thing: spring cleaning. Why is this something we do uh, during the springtime and not the wintertime? Caitlin Thomas is here with us to help us uh, talk about it and understand a little bit more. Caitlin, are you a spring cleaner?
7: I am a well, kind of yeah. Yeah, I'm a spring cleaner.
2: See, it used to be. But guess what else I am? What? I'm an ant. Yeah, you have a brand new cute little baby. I do. Niece. I'm excited. What's I her name? I just had
7: to say that. Her name's Maxwell.
2: Maxwell. Yeah. She'll be a little Max.
7: Little Max. Anyways, I just had to say that because I'm super excited. We've all been up in my house since about 4.30 this morning.
2: <laughs> How cool. So it happened last night.
7: The, yeah, really early this morning. This morning. Mm-hmm.
2: How great. Yay. Congratulations so to you and your sister. really is
7: a time of new birth. It Look really is.
2: And it's a weird time where we... We have to spring clean.
7: Yeah, it's this time where we feel – and I always think it's funny. Like why is it when all of a sudden the sun comes out that we feel this need? So I looked it up and it said spring cleaning comes – there's actually history to it – from the days when homes were heated by fireplaces. Yeah. And efforts were made to prevent heat from escaping, right? So the coming of spring in warm weather was an opportunity to air the house and clean it of the soot and all the grime accumulated over the winter months. Ah. So that's why they would open up the windows and like – clean out their house because they were getting rid of all the so that they- Well, I remember as a
2: child, because my mother grew up in a place that was probably heated by a coal or a, uh, you know, wood-burning wood stove. Wood-burning stove. And- so, we would open up all of our windows, we'd vacuum everything, we'd wipe dust down all it. the walls, mm-hmm. you'd dust everything. And the funny thing is, we have better filtration, we have better f- stuff going on. So, you may not need to wipe down every single wall, every single right. part of your house. But
7: it's like a tradition that's kind of just carried yeah. on. We used to from carry, there.
2: The, the, carry the rugs outside, and you'd have to beat yes. the rugs with a.
7: Well, and know. they said that many of us still enjoy the opportunity provided by spring to let in the fresh air because mm-hmm. it is. Um, clean our windows and wash the floor under the refrigerator, things that we just don't right, do. Right. Um, as well as other difficult to reach places. Another reason for cleaning taking place in spring is that warmer weather and longer days work as a stimulant for a lot of people to become more active.
2: Mm, there you go. So
7: it's like the sun comes out, the days are longer, and we just, something, it just literally stimulates us to do more things.
2: We're I mean, like, I got to get busy.
7: I got to get doing something. So I That's have some idea. spring okay, cleaning yeah. tips for all yeah. of my, you know, Peeps. Stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home dads or anyone that does or the like cleaning. Or like on the
2: weekend, we could get everybody involved in these.
7: Right, or the kids. Yeah. Um, some fun ones. So the best – did you know that the best refrigerator cleaner is a combination of salt and soda water?
2: Did not know that.
7: Yeah, you can mix them and the bubbling combines um, to make like a really good cleaner for the inside of your fridge.
2: And then you get in there and start washing it down?
7: Yeah. Okay. So clean your screens from the uh-huh. window with a scrap of carpet.
2: Oh, there you go. That's I don't a great know, idea.
7: It makes a powerful brush and removes all the dirt. I don't. I was That was an interesting one that I found online. I was like, oh, mom. That's a great I, this idea. This is one for my mom. Hi, mom. I hope you're listening even though you're tired. So we
2: probably ought not cut out the carpet <clears throat> out of the middle no, of the carpet. No, go get a carpet sample. Okay, yeah, go get a sample. <laughs> cut out a okay. <clears> out <throat> Okay.
7: Um, if the drapes are looking dirty, take them off the window um, and run them through the air fluff cycle in the dryer with a wet towel. The wet towel will pull off the dust. Great idea. For 15 minutes and then hang them back on the windows immediately.
2: Holy cow. That's that. if you have drapes.
7: Right, if you have – I don't know how many people have drapes, yeah. but – What do you do with your blinds
2: if your blinds are looking a little worn out?
7: You get one of those Swiffer –
2: Picker-uppers? Yeah. <laughs>
7: Not like the mobs, but they yeah. have like the dusters. Clean them off, yeah. Um, Clean the blades of your ceiling fan by covering them with a coat of furniture polish.
2: Oh, really? Interesting. Huh? So you cover them after?
7: Yes. Yeah, so you wipe off the excess and lightly buff it. Okay. So you put the furniture polish on top, and then you wipe it all off and like Yeah, you...
2: I don't dare turn my fan on because I think there's a lot of dust on the top of it, and I just don't want to create a dust storm. Yeah. Dust devil.
7: Yeah, it was just gross, right? If yeah, you've horrible. ever really taken the time to look up there, you're like, ew. Yeah, let not do that. I can't believe I'm like circulating that. Right. Sometimes comforters, blankets, and pillows don't need to be cleaned, but they do need to be aired out. Um. So just take them outside and hang them on the clothesline. Clothesline. Where's mean, a clothesline have anymore? Have one. Make one.
2: That's true. Yeah.
7: Because then they get, they smell all nice. Oh, yeah, the
2: and they just air. get the Febreze and just spray it all and everything. It's just a good time just to let feel it good again. It is. Great advice,
7: Happy Caitlin spring. Thomas.
2: And congrats to your new baby, Thank Maxwell.
7: You. I'm so excited to meet her.
2: Nice. Good stuff. Caitlin Thomas is her name, and uh, she's here every week. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
0: show. Your
1: guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show. Call
0: the show at one chat byu
2: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
5: BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, happy tax day. Get her done. Get all your stuff in. Then you can, you know, figure out how you're going to make your payments. And do it on the level, too, Matt. Yes, do it on the level. Don't do it, you know, on the non-level. Mine was on the level. I can claim my fees for Townton Abbey, my Sim City, as expenses. Didn't your tax guy quote you all sorts of tax codes that yeah. said that you're wrong? Well, yeah, but I don't know that he knows what he's talking about because he's probably really tired. He's been working for the last four months. Hmm. He I, he sounded like his speech was slurred, don't you think, Terry? He sounded like he—I don't know—he just had a really, really, really weird voice.
3: Uh, is he in Brooklyn?
2: Yeah, I think it's kind of an Idaho Brooklyn.
3: Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. I know there's there's that there is that sort of regional dialect. Yeah. of Brooklyn sort of idahoish mm-hmm. this. That is it. Yeah, oh, great.
2: Anyway, that was last hour I got a call from my tax guy who had a bunch of questions, and we decided to do it on the air, and now I kind of regret that yeah. because he was a little snippy.
3: Well, that and you may have revealed your attempt at maybe tax fraud. But yeah, we're not, we're mm-hmm. not pointing fingers. We're I wouldn't call fingers. it tax fraud. I would I mean,
2: call it blatant tax fraud. Oh, wow. But again, neither of you are professionals. All right, we'll leave it to the professionals.
3: But as we've talked about, there are less people working for the IRS who actually do audits, so you're safe. <laughs> and you you don't make anywhere near enough where they're going to pay attention nah, to you. Nah, they're not going to look. They're not you're fine. Brown. You're fine.
2: And I am a mayor of a city of 130,000 people.
3: Distinguished mayor.
2: Distinguished mayor. Of a video game city. I, I keep trying to on go to the mayor uh, meetings, like the, which are count, on a, the which, council meetings? The council meetings the, from yeah. mayors. But uh, I never have enough bonus points to get there, so it's a little frustrating because you know you gotta. You, it's not easy. We should do a poll of who's a better leader: you or President Business from the Lego Movie? Oh, well. who was also Lord Business? I think I think it's definite. Uh, it's definitely me. Because I – my people love me. My happiness level on my Sim City town, Townton Abbey, has a 99 to 100 percent happiness right now. But he had Taco Tuesday. Well, I could have Everybody Taco Everybody loves Tuesday, tacos. I, but I don't have a taco place. I don't – there's no tacos in Townton Abbey. I don't even have a burger joint yet. That doesn't come to level 28, and I'm only on level 26.
4: So for the time being, people in Townton Abbey are eating Soylent Green.
2: No. They're eating smoothies. We have a green smoothie made of um, watermelon and other fruits and vegetables. Can we can
4: we reveal the secret ingredient of your uh, soylent green food that you have in Townton Abbey? No. Okay. We won't do it.
2: I can't believe you guys are disrespecting this town. Do you know how hard it is to build a town up to mm. 130,000 people?
3: It takes some effort.
2: It takes a lot of effort. Mm. Town, 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 town. This is the uh, song we made up to um, draw people to Town which is the downtown area of Townton Abbey. Actually, uh, if I remember correctly, Shh, okay. Sh- 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 okay,
3: it's the historical district. It's the historical district. Yeah, everyone has one. Yeah. Yeah. So they-
2: this was. <laughs> this is the song that we use to to ex- excite and animate. The population of Taunton Abbey. But I think if you go back and listen shh, to the lyrics, shh, that's why we didn't play the whole thing.
5: Hmm. Yeah.
2: There was a scandal involving a lady that is no longer with us.
3: She was hint, really hint. disgruntled, though. Yeah. Yeah.
2: She was disgruntled.
3: And you guys agreed to disagree.
2: Uh, uh, agreeably.
3: And she moved away. Exactly. She was
2: disgruntled and then she was dismembered. Wow. That's almost we'll <laughs> Wow. Allegations. Nobody Just... touched her membership. Yeah. <laughs> so sad. Hey, uh today we will be talking with Julie K Nelson, the bomb mom, 12 ways to connect with your kids using cell phones. Hmm. See many are like trying to get their kids to turn off their phones. Julie's will be teaching us. No, maybe what you ought to do is try to connect with your kids. Just give in. Use the phones. Give in to to the create cell create a, phone. A, no, no, use the phone no. to create a deeper oh. connection. No, just give in. Because the they, they answer up. the phone. They use the phone. Right. So you just use it well, their they, way.
3: They don't answer it. And then, like a phone call, they want you to answer a text. Well, you know, they get annoyed when you call them.
2: True. So yeah. you just text them. Julie's on to something here because we'll get to a story later in the show about McDonald's is trying to get kids to apply for McJobs. McJobs. Using McSnapchat. Right. So you got to – if you want to hang with the with the youth, then you got to reach them on their level. That sounds McInteresting. McThank you. You're McWelcome. McMoving on. <laughs> Let's get to the McHeadlines with McTerry McSouth. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country?
3: Big news today. This will be leading all the newscasts, if it isn't already, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Oh, boy. It comes out May 5th, so we've all got to emotionally prepare for this. Emotionally? News out today, five post-credit scenes. Whoa. Really? Usually there's like two. Well, it's because what's-his-name's there, and he's hilarious. Five post-credit scenes. This will set up, like, five more movies. Excellent. This story. So it's big news. This should lead to all the newscasts. Not like, you know, the I fact like we're sending two stuff. more aircraft carriers to North Korea or yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, Maybe whatever. That's the worst thing could have? Trump administration considering opposing stricter restrictions of existing sanctions against Iran. Foreign policy reports today, or, yeah, you know, today the White House is leaning towards a more rigorous application of the tools at its disposal, a senior White House official told mm-hmm. the outlet. The uh, sanctions would build on previous ones, including. Uh, With their weapons program, the Trump administration is reportedly considering expanding existing sanctions to target parts of Iran's economy linked to the Islamic Revolutionary Guard. Policy experts warn that increased sanctions could backfire, prompting Iran to pull out of the uh, nuclear agreement with world powers. But Trump wants to get out of that anyways. Huh. So who knows? We'll see where that goes. North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un has a diabolical plan in case... Tensions with the U.S. continue to escalate. As I mentioned, two aircraft carriers heading in to join the Carl Vincent that's already there. Um, So a defector, someone who left North Korea, has a story. A former special operator who... Escape from North Korea told the Daily Mail that if the United States attacks the isolated nation, diplomats, tourists, and foreign businessmen in South Korea could be at risk. The defector said that his former unit is trained and prepared to retaliate by kidnapping foreigners from South Korea, bringing them into North Korea, and ultimately killing, killing them. The defector said that as part of the 11th Storm Corps... Yeah, private. that's the we saw that We yeah. saw
2: a parade. They're like stormtroopers. Had a
3: bunch of special operators, uh, operation forces there. He said they would sneak across the border into the south, unnoticed, carrying both traditional weapons and nerve agents on what's called uh, suicide missions to capture foreigners. They then would attempt to return to the north with their ca- their uh, their kidnapped huh. uh, subjects. If they can't make it there, they just find a place to hole up in South Korea. Oh, wow. And this would be how they retaliate. This is this is all hypothetical. By the way, I've heard that South Korea is a great place to visit on vacation. They so. have
2: incredible... Oh, this is South Korea. North Korea has great parades.
3: They have good... And, and North Korea could be a place that you could learn to adjust to if kidnapped.
2: Well, not really, because there's nothing there. <laughs> it's a hard life.
3: Yeah, so that was a story the that came out. So it's kind of okay. people running around yeah. doing things. Uh, Neil Gorsuch the new justice yeah Supreme Court heard his first arguments from the Supreme Court bench Monday after having been formally sworn in a week ago uh, he was not shy during his debut asking questions early and often he just uh, he took just 11 minutes for him to pipe up during his first of three cases. Fox News additionally notes that throughout the arguments, Gorsuch remained focused, not even chatting with his bench neighbor, Justice Sonia Sotomayor. She's very chatty, I've heard. Yeah, and that he repeatedly pressed lawyers from both sides with his position. Cool. Gorsuch, uh, we talked about how they when they sit in their meetings, he gets he's the guy that has to answer the door, yeah. he has to deal with what's being cooked in the kitchen, he's the cafeteria. Yeah aid one of his other uh duties he will vote last they vote in order so if it comes down that there's a tie tie,
2: he's a he's he is the vote breaker
3: he well it says this puts him in the position to be a tiebreaker in cases to follow along ideological lines this is exciting so he has an important position even though he's the new guy also uh this and finally today in austin texas will be under the mayor's orders all citizens to take it easy
2: hold on where Austin, Austin, Texas.
3: The mayor is saying everyone needs to take it easy I love Austin. He goes, this is a big week for Austin, Mayor Steve Alder said in an op-ed released Saturday. He goes, I'm officially declaring Tuesday as Austin Everybody Chill Out Day. (laughs) Alder's preemptive call for calm coincides with Tuesday's anticipated release of proposed zoning maps that could change the rules for what kind of development can happen in different parts of the city. Inevitably, Alder says some people would worry that the new development allowed on these draft maps could disrupt their neighborhoods while others would object to the plan that doesn't provide enough of new housing that Austin needs. To which Alder says, breathe everybody. In his op-ed, Alder emphasizes these maps are a first draft in a a year-long process that will include exhaustive community dialogue and several rounds of revisions before anything becomes finalized. So today in Austin, according to the mayor, is Austin everybody chill out day. (laughs) It's a great line. I think we need to use that line
2: more often. Just chill out. Everybody they need to get, chill out day. They need to get Arnold over there and what? reprise his Mr. Freeze role. What would that sound like?
3: Everybody chill. That's what he said. It was a horrible movie. Ice to see you again. Ice to see you. Yeah, let's not, re- let's not do that.
2: That's kind of weird. Get to the chopper. Yeah. The chopper? The chopper, chopper. No ah, chopper. <laughs> hey, uh, by the way, right now I am watching a live launch from NASA of a rocket going to the International Space Station to resupply. Oh wow! Fantastic video.
3: Whose rocket is it? It's not I NASA's. It's,
2: I think it is NASA's.
3: Really? They actually launched something. Mm-hmm. Wow! I always it's thought amazing. it was like SpaceX or somebody. And they
2: just jettisoned the, I guess the fuel. Rocket or whatever it Mm -hmm. was—that's gone now. So now they're just floating in orbit. Oh, wow! Pretty cool video. I'm telling you, NASA's back. Ever since Hidden Figures,
3: (laughs) it's back. And that that module they're sending up, yeah. Then the astronauts fill it full of trash and send it back.
2: Oh, so it's like a garbage. It turns into a a dumpster,
3: and when it becomes re re and re-entry, it catches on fire. So it's a literal dumpster fire.
4: They wow. better remember to do it on Wednesday though, which is trash day. Right. Have you ever forgotten the trash uh, day? Oh man.
2: Is hold on, but at the space station, is Wednesday recycle day or Thursday? It depends. What day do you send the recyclables to? Sometimes
3: they're on different sides of the planet. Uh, it makes it difficult.
2: So... Then they argue over oh, you
4: didn't rinse that out first. Yeah. You can't put that in the recycle bin.
2: Yeah. That's it's hard. It's hard to recycle at the space station. It's just not the same. Um, today, by the way, National Animal Cracker Day, which is the day you get to eat animals um, without any. They're
3: crackers. Uh, animal crackers, yeah. yeah. Cool. Without any backlash. I mean, they're lions and tigers and elephants. And Bears. Bears.
4: Oh, my. So you're telling me if I go home and try to eat some actual chicken or some actual beef, I'm going to get some flack?
2: Yeah. Or feathers um mcdonald's they they need more candidates for their workforce. Apparently, a lot of these younger kids aren't into working at McDonald's. Hmm. We ought to tell Caitlin, who is Looking graduating, jog, soon, yeah. that yeah, maybe she should get on Snapchat so mcdonald's um it, its Australian subsidiary has launched a Snapchat job app. And McDonald's wants potential candidates to send the company a 10-second video using a filter that shows them wearing a McDonald's uniform. So the filter on the app, you just kind of put your head in there, and then you can, they can see if you fit – if the clothes fit, you know, because if the clothes fit, you must hire. Acquit? Now no. That's another thing. And so the job applications, uh, which McDonald's is calling Snap applications, will be the first step in the recruitment process. So you send your 10 second video to McDonald's and then they will send you you know the the forms to fill out and everything you need to do to get an interview. They want to see your bubbly personality. Maybe I probably if I were going to do a little snap snap application, I would probably lay down some lines, some I like to like throw out some rhymes. Lay down some words, maybe a little rap. Wow. I think Terry's trying to put the McDonald's outfit on you.
3: It doesn't quite fit.
2: Doesn't it fit? It never Ooh. did. It never did. It's, it's, more,
3: it's more for a more slim build. It's
2: polyester. You'd think it would fit anybody. Kind of stretchy? I guess it's not stretchy. So the
4: interviewer is now saying to you, Matt, I'm sorry, you're just not McDonald's material. Mm.
2: <laughs> Thanks, interviewer. Um, a child was bitten by a toothy sea creature in Florida. A 10-year-old girl is being airlifted to the hospital in Orlando after being bitten by an unknown toothy sea creature. County Fire Rescue reports the child was bitten while in the water off of Melbourne Beach, Florida. She suffered a six-inch bite to her left calf. A spokesperson said the bite is indicative of a shark, but there were no witnesses, and referring it to it as the unknown toothy creature I guess seems like a better idea. Hmm. That seems like it's going to create more panic than just thinking it was a shark. If they need some forensic work, I you know they, <laughs> I've watched enough shows. They can know if it's a shark bite. Isn't, can't you just see the scientist there saying, "Oh yes, that is the unknown toothy thingy, <laughs> my bobber." Wouldn't you love to see a picture of it? It's just got this great grin. That is the scientific name. Hello, I'm the unknown toothy creature. <laughs> anyway, it's uh, now they did make some announcements at the beach there that uh, the, and the waters have been cleared because there's apparently evidence of sharks in the water
4: during summer season. I don't think the mayor's going to stand for that. I yeah.
2: think he's going to insist. That the beaches stay open. Well, it may not matter because it's probably during spring break time and half those people aren't listening anyway. Mm. You know what I mean? You, there are so many lessons that they can glean or, you know, that they can learn from, like yeah. Jaws. Yeah. Any of the Piranha movies. Right. Are you kidding me? Just stay uh, out of the water. Snakes in a blanket. Snakes, snakes in, in, in a car, car. Snakes in an airplane. There's lessons. Snakes in therapy. Yeah. Uh, the toothy grinning snake. Which is a great reprisal of Jaws 6. All Snakes Go to Heaven. Mm -hmm. Snake and Bake, which is a great uh, chicken dinner where you just take snake meat and then you shake it in a bag. Snakes for Hire. Yeah. Snakes are us. All that fun stuff. Snakes in space. Okay. Okay. We'll take a break when we come back. Julie K. Nelson will be talking to us about 12 ways to connect with your kids using your cell phone. You're not going to want to miss this. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us in studio, Julie K. Nelson. From the website a spoonfulofparenting dot com, and she is um, she she has a topic today that I think will interest all of us. Twelve ways to connect with your kids using their cell phones. Julie, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks for having me. Come, Matt. How are you? Great. Happy Tax Day. Uh, No,
2: I haven't seen you for a long time. Uh, Happy Tax Day to you. Yeah. Uh, Happy. Hope I hope you have a refund.
0: Like we have, you know. Happy Easter. We all greet each other with this, and then we say. Happy Tax Day? I don't think so. Is that oh. supposed to be a greeting?
2: Well, I don't think it's a greeting because the minute you said it, I felt disdain. <laughs> a, pain, a
0: pain in your side? Yeah, I'm like, Ugh. Like, uh, indigestion? I well, you know, that. you either love taxes or you hate taxes. I mean, we, we love them because they do lots of good things yeah, for us. they help us. But we hate them. And so I want to talk about something we have a love-hate relationship with today. What? And that is our cell phones yes. with our kids.
2: So true. You know,
0: I mean, we let's face it. They do have a bad rap because they do a lot of bad things, right? Because they can cause addictive behaviors in right, our kids. Right, right. And overdependence, and they can even have withdrawal like symptoms when you try to, you know, grab them from their hands oh. and say "not now," and they're don't like, "Don't ah! touch
4: my, don't you know, touch my and drug." And you have
0: World War Three going on, right? <laughs> don't touch my, touch my drug. So yeah, uh, they can't be unplugged for over fifteen minutes. All those things that really do disconnect us from one another, but they also can be used as a tool for connection. Sure. So I am going to give you some tools today that might be good things we could use. Good.
2: Um, so so these are these are tools, ways that you can use the tech. To work with your child, connect to your child instead of just always fighting them about yeah,
0: the Yeah, and there should be boundaries within these tools. I mean, I, like AP, the AAP or the American Academy of Pediatrics do say no cell phones or devices for kids under two at all Yeah, and that they shouldn't be plugged in in their rooms or unattended and sometimes, you know, I even have the rule and many parents share the same rule that no Wi-Fi or internet for kids who are younger that are not as responsible you know, because that does open up a whole Pandora's box for some kids that right able to control themselves. So, you know, you can still have a cell phone without the Wi-Fi as long as um, you feel like you are kind of helping them to, to have some discipline. But these are some things that will help us to stay connected cool. um, with your relationships with your teenagers especially. Okay? Let's hit it. So, if you do have, now this is specifically for the iPhone, if you do have the iPhone, the, uh, Find My Friends is a great app. Because and you can it. always track where your kids are now that your kids may balk at you thinking that you're like the stalking parents. But, you know, it's really nice to know where they're at and make it a condition of their phone in the first place, because they have nothing to hide, right? So then you can always know where they're at, um, and then there's no of this, you know, subterfuge going on.
2: That's the, I love that app. Um, and then you don't have to always call and check, you just kind of know where they are.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: And then it's fun, like, you just ask, where are you? And then you see if they're being honest. <laughs> exactly. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Exactly. Okay. Now, speaking of finding your friends, here's another thing. If you do have a child even without the Wi-Fi, it's really nice to have just a cell phone with text and calling because I have spent countless hours trying to find my child where they're at. Like they are supposed to be at one place, then they're not, or you pick them up at the school. Where are they at the school? So if you can just text them and say, where are you, then you know exactly where to find them at the mall or at the school, and you save hours of wasted time. So that's really a helpful thing to get you connected, and then you're not frustrating and yelling at your kid when you finally find them.
2: Nobody needs to yell. No,
0: no, no. Um, I also like cell phones for using some really fun family games. Just on Sunday, my son has this great new, um, it just came out a couple weeks ago, this game that you can log on on the internet um, on computers and it's called Use Your Words. And yeah. Then on, and then on your cell phone, you do your answers. Hold on,
2: is this new to you?
0: Well, he said it was just a new game a couple weeks ago. Well, is it came it,
2: out. isn't it the same, isn't Use Your Words, is it, have you ever played Words? Isn't it the same thing?
0: No, I think it's different. This is really fun. And words has been around for... Yeah, no, this just barely came out, apparently. Okay, cool, cool. And, and so my other son, um, who lives in New Jersey, logged in and remotely played with us. How fun. And we're all playing this this game. It's a game show game. And we're all play together, and it's really fun because we feel connected, even though we're miles so away. It's really yeah. fun. But we also play things like headbands and charades, you know, where you put up on your forehead. Uh-huh. And we do grip games like that. And it's also fun for solitary games for if you perhaps have to drag your child to go see their sibling at their concert, and they're sitting there bored to death, They could play some little solitary game, game. you know. Bribe them with that, so they are sitting there supporting their their son or their brother or sister, your son or daughter, at the swim meet or whatever. They Mm -hmm. can play some games, so it does help. Have you
2: heard of Sim City? Yes, I'm the mayor of (laughs) Townson Abbey.
0: Townsend Abbey. Yeah. yeah, if you have to wait the doctors, you know, they are sitting there and they, you know, just give them, you know, that's kind of that's a nice thing idea. when you're trying to kind of make the time go by. Um, another fun thing about games is just educational games that really help your kids. Now, don't overdo this on it. Don't justify learning games all the time. They do need human to human interaction. It's been proven best as the best learning relationship. But once in a while, it's not bad to use some educational games to help kids. I used it the flashcard app a lot to help my kids to memorize terms and then I would test them on it when they were in school. That's a really nice one. Um, Another one would be a safety or escape plan. I like this a lot. I read an interesting blog post that this man um, highlighted the need for our kids to have an emergency plan in case they got over their heads with social pressure. So particularly with our teenagers, this is a really good safety thing. So what he did is he called it his X plan, which means that if they're in a, at a party or in a social situation where they're getting pressure to do something they don't feel comfortable with, yeah. but they just feel – also a little bit timid or shy about saying, I need to leave right now in front of their friends. They don't want to, they want to say face, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, they just on their phone text you just the letter X.
2: That's and great. that means
0: get me out of here. That's cool. And then that means a call for help. And so what you do is you just call them back immediately after you get the ex text. And then you say, hey, um, it's some bogus story. You know, uh, we you got to come home. Yeah. Now. And then get the teenager can say, oh, that was my mom calling. I have to go. Yeah. You know, and act all, you know, pretend like you're so, you know, upset about it and feign your disappointment. But they're secretly relieved to get out of the party that's turned into, you know, yeah. drinking or it sexual activity anything. or anything they're uncomfortable
2: with. Or it could just with. be you're tired and you don't want to, and Your friend keeps saying, you got to sleep over.
0: Yeah, or a date that someone does not want to keep on going on, you know?
2: The X. I need to use this X one more. Yeah,
0: the X plan. Or just if they're getting tired, they need to go home and it's the middle of a movie and they don't like the movie. Yeah. They can just use it as a way, an escape plan.
2: So, Jeff, you know when I text you an X, that means you're supposed to get me out of the show. (laughs) You know that, right? Usually they're just pain emojis
4: because uh, you frequently miss the show because of pain-related issues. That's all I'm going to say.
2: That's good. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> Keep going, please.
0: Number six, uh, let's talk more about safety. I really have a big peace of mind, huge peace of mind, knowing that if my teenager was out on an outing, then they do a lot of these things. And they're kind of in that risk taking um, yeah. phase of their life. And they might go out rock climbing or up in the mountains or something like that. And they get lost. What a peace of mind to know that if they had a cell phone and it turned into a critical situation, that they could dial 911. They could get some help up there right away. Right. I don't want to send my team off doing crazy stuff out in some remote area without some kind of a, a device that could signal some help. And well, they needed it too. And
2: what's so weird about that, too, though, is then you're sending them out with like an $800 piece of technology. <laughs> we sent ours to go. He was just going to go on a hike. And then we found out later where he went. And there's ponds and pools and one of our family members had lost his phone in these pools. And then the whole time we were panicked thinking, don't lose your phone. Yeah. So it's, it's a weird thing. We want them to have them but then we don't. But then we're so caught in this weird space.
0: Yeah, and that's why, like I said, with my son, he's fifteen. He does not have Wi-Fi. He has a text, uh, call phone only. That's cool. One of those like clammy things or the yeah, flippy yeah, yeah. things. A flip phone. And it, what it costs us forty-nine dollars. I great. mean, I'm not going to be that upset no, if he loses it. Totally. And then I, I really have a peace of mind knowing I can get a hold of him. He can get a hold of anybody. And then I really don't mind if it, I mean, it were to get lost. I mean, yeah. you know,
2: you've you've done this right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good job. So, um, yeah. What if they
2: FaceTime you? And they're like, Mom, can I jump off this cliff? And they show you the cliff. <laughs> Would it be better that they don't FaceTime Yeah, time don't FaceTime then. No. Yeah. Show you
0: the videos afterwards. Our
2: kids were all coming back from cliff jumping. And we're like, what? Yeah. Not good.
0: Not good. But see, my daughter, like, for example, she was driving down from Idaho um, every weekend for a while while she was dating her fiance oh, at the my time, heavens. who was in Provo, who Love. they just got married two weeks ago. Congratulations. Thank you. And it was the middle of winter, it was like January or February this year. And she hit, some, she hit a deer. And then Ooh. some black ice. And she was in the remote place in Idaho, who knows where, Idaho. Yeah. And because she had a cell phone, she was able to call 911 and she got some help right away. Unbelievable. And it was Yeah, it was really, gosh, what a safety feature, right? Totally. That's to great. That. What a gift. Um, let's talk about the camera fun- function on a phone. Ugh. Super indispensable. Because it, it could also
2: go bad not, or good. Yeah,
0: not just for endless selfies. Okay, right. now that's the bad part of it, and all that. Let's take a picture of everything we uh, do all mm-hmm. day long and document, and, and not enjoy the moment. I'm not for that, but I am interest interested in how teens have learned how to capture important information. I am now learning how. Well, I don't have to write that down. I just oh, take a picture of it. Totally. Oh, no, What amazing. a great idea. So you can use these images later on. Like if they say, okay, here is a map of how you get here or here's a recipe. I can pull it up later. Or I see Or instructions the, on the board. My oh, students yeah. always Don't use it. you see it.
2: that? They're taking their pictures. Oh, yeah, all or the your time. slides. Instead of them having to copy all your right. slides, they just take the picture They take
0: a picture of it or instructions on the board. And they're much better learners that way. Yeah. And then they retain the information because they've got it on their phone. So the picture um, – it speaks uh, is, a thousand words. Yeah, yeah, on the camera function. And so here's another way to connect families. Um, it's really great for if you have a child who missed a family event. Let's say somebody who just doesn't want to hang out with you anymore, a.k.a. a teenager.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: <laughs> and they don't come to family dinners or your family, whatever nights, whatever it is you're doing together, game night. Um, you take a picture of the plate of food and then you text them and text that picture to them and say, we missed you at dinner. Here's what you ha- we had. We hope you come tomorrow. So they can see what they missed out on. That's
2: a great idea. Or
0: just take a family selfie all together and say, hey, we had fun hiking tonight. Sorry you weren't with us. We hope you can come next time. Well, and now
2: in a weird way, like let's say at the family dinner, someone – your daughter was going to announce that she's engaged. Now you don't have to miss that. So for the kid that is in Idaho that can't come down, we can film it. We can show it live on FaceTime and people don't have to miss – I mean we – there's no reason to miss stuff anymore Mm -hmm. because we could also either show it live on FaceTime or record it. And get you a copy of it instantly.
0: Right. So the, I had another daughter who returned from Russia serving a church mission, and we had a lot of things going on. We had the wedding, and then we had her coming home. Oh, and then there's the son, so many things And there. the son from New Jersey couldn't be there for any one of those because he's in the military and they didn't give him time off. And can I just talk about how upset I was with that? But Come on, that's, military! That's another topic for yeah. another time. But anyway, cried a lot of tears over that one. But because he missed it all, we could record all of that going on and sent it all to him.
2: And actually give a purpose to the 15-year-old. You're the recorder for your brother. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're catching everybody. Have them go around to the tables. Talk to everybody to the brother that's in the military. Yeah, they did. That's so cool.
0: Right, right. So really wait, a way to connect with another.
2: That's good stuff, Julie. Let's take a break. Uh, come back. We're speaking with Julie K. Nelson from A AspoonfulOfParenting.com. She's also a professor at uh, the Utah Valley University where she teaches applied parenting, marriage, and relationship skills. She's the child whisperer, the bomb mom, we call her. Stick with us more with Julie after the break. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Are those uh, your kids and their cell phones, are they driving you crazy? Well, if so, maybe there's still some positive things that you can use them for and and still create a connected relationship with your child. Here to help us talk through that is Julie K. Nelson from A spoonfulofparenting.com, a great blog uh, where you can get parenting and advice. She's written two books, of course. Um, one is uh, Parenting with Spiritual Power. The other is Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger. 25 Tips for Surviving Parenthood.
0: And I'm still surviving, trying to. Well,
2: yeah, you got to. What other choice do you have? And it doesn't (laughs) end. Then you'll just be a grandparent and a great-grandparent and a great-great-grandparent. Then your hip gives out, you fall to the ground, and you're dead. (laughs) I mean, potentially.
0: Wow, thanks for that uplifting message.
2: Just seems to be how it goes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> One of my neighbors, she was so funny. She had twins. Uh, her sixth and sixth, seventh child were twins, and she's just like, and she was forty, and she's like, life just kind of went downhill from there. Uh-huh. And and whenever her kids would always say, "That's not fair," or whatever, and she's like, "Life's not fair," and then you die.
2: That's right. That's it. That's that what's the response to everything. Need? What more do you want to know? She's
0: kind of, I kind of got grab- crabby in my later years. Yeah. But that was the response to everything. So
2: you've been giving us some pretty cool ideas, like using Find My iPhone as a way to help track mm-hmm. your kid. Play more family games on your phones together. Uh, Use the X text, Mm -hmm. which is a way that your kid can just subtly text an X to you, and then that means you got a call, and that's how you can help them remove themselves from difficult situations with friends.
0: Yes. And then using the picture app, you know, sometimes I'll be reading something. There'll be a really great inspirational quote or scripture, and I'll take a picture of it and then text it to all my children. That's great. Um, so, you know, just the camera function is just indispensable. You've got to think more often of how you can take pictures and send them to each other. But let's do number eight. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, for me, I'm just dire- directionally challenged. And so, Google Maps. Do I, do I need to say more? I mean, they have Greatest changed thing my in the life. World. Yeah. Changed my life. So, when I need to go somewhere with my kids, we need to get there on time. Um I take my kids a lot of places. I don't know about you parents, but I'm always in the car driving yeah. to, to people's houses, you know, find them, you know, anywhere. And um I just put in Google Maps and it saves your life as a teenager to get to places as well as a parent oh. to get them places.
2: My kids now, if they ask for a ride, they'll usually send me a pin mm-hmm. for where I need to go and they don't even they know to do that cuz there's Cause no dad's going to get lost up. without yeah.
0: it exactly yeah. same thing so really they it helps you a lot it's did it take away the stress of just mm-hmm. finding places to go when you need to go get your teenager or take them places um kind of going along with what i said before i love the love notes idea via the cell phone emojis are the new adolescent language right and so yeah. you know use those cuz i guess apparently jeff you get them all the time from matt love love yeah. emojis love emojis or stress emojis like
2: heart eyes <laughs> <laughs> it's really great stuff. Very oh, bonding.
0: Yes, because um, teenagers really can turn cold and prickly during these years, and we don't know how to connect to them. They often don't let us embrace them, give them a hug, give them a kiss or whatever anymore, like they did when they were five. And so, right. how do I connect? Cell phones, but and, they
2: they read what you send them. So yeah. I sent a, I I just sent a really interesting podcast to my son who was running who ran for a student body office, and it was he he listened to the entire thing. Yeah. They won't tell you they listen. They won't tell
0: you they listen, but you send them inspirational things or, hey, why don't you listen to this? And they'll listen. They may not ever let you know they listened or that it made an impact, but it does. Mm -hmm. Send them stuff and send them little emojis. Send them a little, I love yous. They could be cold and prickly on the outside, but they'll accept a text. Yeah.
2: And if they love sports, send them a sports score. Send Mm -hmm. them Mm -hmm. something. I mean, it's they're trying to connect.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, A 99.9% open rate on a child's text messaging. Yeah. They're getting every text.
0: Yeah, they're just they're not responding to yeah. you, but they're seeing it and they're getting a, a way for you to say I love you or I'm connecting with you. Um, whether or not they reciprocate, they are receiving them.
2: So good. So good. use it. Use yeah, it, right? totally.
0: Okay. Um, another spin on this one is to send up a family group text. I have another neighbor who does this and they have just a private family group text. They send inspirational messages to their kids and they all get it every day. That's so great. every day they send a scripture or some kind of a, you know, anything that would be uplifting or even funny. They send little video clips, even, hey, this is mom and dad wishing you a great day, kids, especially when your kids are grown or they're just gone a lot. Yeah. Um, and so you can send them inspirational messages or memes, anything to bri- brighten their day and have it as a family private yeah. group text.
2: And maybe like, hey, make sure you put your, hang your towels up.
0: <laughs> Wherever you are. Mom get, loves you. Get up. <laughs> Eat your fruits yeah. and veggies. Yeah,
2: I mean, that could happen too.
0: Yeah, do it on Messenger if you want to do it that way yeah. or what, however, but that's a great way to keep connecting. It's and great, And yeah. grandparents with your grandkids. Mm-hmm. That's the way kids are speaking these days. It's so find learn the it. Way, learn the language. It's mm-hmm. great. Okay, we're almost there. We're number 11. Um, cleaning your house. Okay, you just did spring cleaning, uh, right? Yeah, that whole segment. Be, yeah. That mm-hmm. segment with yeah. the, yeah before me and so spring cleaning, okay, or cleaning at all. Every Saturday, kids get out of bed, we gotta clean. Okay, why not put on some music or a podcast to all be listening to on their phones? Great idea. Even they can even put in their earbuds and listen to themselves or broadcast with the whole house. But have something that picks your spirit up and it kind of gets everyone moving around something that's kind of upbeat, some music or some inspirational podcast or whatever, and have them be cleaning to that, and therefore their you know their minds are engaged. They're kind of getting not only their bodies moving but their brains moving. That's great. And you really do uh, do better when there's something feeding your mind. Totally. When you have to do these mindless things, oh, so right. use Absolutely. that um, to clean and even sing, sing together. So music on your iPod, super good. I love that. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, Last one, this is the obvious one, and it's just the best ever because now that I'm a grandma, right? (laughs) Uh, I'm sure a lot of grandparents out there have kids throughout all the country, maybe even the world so this is a major point I'm going to end on and that is FaceTime Google Hangout Skype right Mm -hmm. every parent grandparent knows this a way to connect with your family so use whatever you can on your phone to say I love you and to be a part of each other's lives I love the way the technology melts the miles between us totally Um, you can even prop up the phone while you're having a family dinner and then just for those few minutes have the child who's far away just be part of the family conversation as if they're sitting at the table that's what I
2: have dads that are traveling I ask them to do FaceTime and have family time, family prayer, family meals, yeah. stay there, so they're and help with the homework.
0: Yeah, so they every night there's a certain time where we all gather together and we have family prayer or scripture reading or whatever it is, or just check in. So when Dad's you know traveling, there's a time where he knows he's part of the family still, and yeah. that reinstates him, and so he's not so disconnected. Well, and
2: now he has to help with homework. Mm-hmm. There's no reason Mom has to do all. I mean, why not? Dad's sitting in a hotel room, mm-hmm. sure. Help with homework.
0: Absolutely, such a great idea, Matt. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that way, you they can still fill a far, part of the family, even if just for a little while, and it's all free.
2: So great, yeah. and and really, there's no end to all of it. I guess the big key is too don't you don't need to wait for an invite. Just get doing these things.
0: Mm-hmm. I did. I just that's what I do when I read something I love. I share it with my kids, and a couple of them will say, "Hey, mom, thanks for that." I don't hear it from everybody, but I keep doing it. You know, you just you just uh, use this to benefit the family in the way that it's their language yeah. and their lifestyle. Um, you just kind of, you know, when in Rome you do as the Romans do but again, with boundaries, right. I still feel very passionate about the fact that they can become addictive behaviors and you don't give teenagers free reign, especially preteens. Right. In, uh, access, free access to the internet.
2: No, and have those phones. We always uh, we ask them to turn their phones in by a certain time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Screen, no screen time really after eight should be the ideal, but everyone wants them till yeah. nine. Yeah, so they
0: have a, a central station they're all plugged into yeah. that they're charging for the night and none the, no TVs and no electronics in the in the, in the bedrooms, um, especially, in, and I would say parents too. You really yeah. need to get them out of your rooms. That's right. And they've talked about interference with your uh, with your rhythms of sleep if you have that light going on. Um, into your eyes before you go to bed totally no absolutely yeah so but all these things can be good so let's harness that good energy and power for good like a fire where you put the rings around the fire to create the pit yeah and then you can control the fire but if you don't put the rings around then it just becomes wildfire
2: you gotta have a boundary there yeah, yeah Good stuff. Julie K. Nelson's her name. Go check out her website, a spoonfulofparenting.com, and her books, of course, Spiritual, Parenting with Spiritual Power and Keeping It or Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger, 25 Tips for Surviving Parented. We will take a break. When we come back, we'll be visiting our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends! Perfect theme music for our next uh, segment and our next guest. Spencer and Jeremy are down there with BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen.
8: Oh, hey, Matt.
2: How are you? This
1: Music's amazing. This Don't is super cool, dude.
2: Isn't this the best music ever? Yeah, very yeah. remo-
1: nice. I like.
2: Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. That's All I
1: can quote from that movie on BYU Radio.
2: Don't you love? I just Sheila
1: Line said two max.
2: To Sheila Line yeah mm-hmm. yeah our oh, boss you've only got you've only got two lines is all you can give it.
1: He said two max two, we've had enough. <laughs> so
2: you guys, how are you doing?
1: Super Nino. it's a great Tuesday,
8: isn't it?
2: Uh Spencer, I noticed you came in a little late today.
8: mm-hmm. yep.
2: do you want to say anything about that?
8: Uh no, just ate my banana feeling good
2: really yeah so you're you're locked and loaded.
8: Wait, are you sure like I walked past you a few times, so I think maybe you saw me. No. I was. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure.
2: I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I don't know. Should we? Should we go to the committee and find out what time you walked in the door?
8: <laughs> yes, please do that. Yeah.
2: Right, I'll go check it out. Go the check committee. it out. Hey, um, what are you guys? What are you guys doing tonight? I mean, tonight there's some f- basketball games on.
1: Well, um, well, today, uh, yeah, there's the basketball.
2: Yeah, there's the basketball. We're going thing. to see a movie together. Oh, that's, what are you?
1: Bagley, Spencer and I.
2: Really? And Harrison. Hold on, so this is, Collier, this, you're going to do that tonight?
1: As well, in today. Oh, S- sometime S- today. We're not going to tell you when.
2: Sometime during the daytime. Yes. Like, yeah. well, during the work that, hours. Spencer. Okay.
1: Well, the daytime technically. The daytime, when the sun's out. Exactly. Like, that's a big window. As opposed to nighttime.
2: That's true, when the sun is down. Yeah. Now you're getting technical.
1: So we're going before eight o'clock. We're going to see the Fate of the Furious today. Are you really? This oh, is yeah. you're
2: going to add to their huge coffers.
1: Well, as of now, I think we're the only four or five people in the theater.
2: So, but we we're not know. going to tell
1: you what time and what theater because we want to be the only people in the theater.
2: Well, Jeff brought up a really good point. <laughs> we know that you guys like to save money, so you'll definitely it's be going. Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, it's Tuesday, and you'll be going. You exactly. know, early.
1: Yeah. Well, it's all day. It doesn't matter what time you go. It's all day, five bucks. It's all
2: day. Oh, Tuesday, five buck day. Yeah. Okay. So why would you, Why are you guys into the furious, fast and furious? Okay.
8: Who isn't, Matt? I'm kind of not. Who isn't into Dwayne the Rock Johnson and his torpedo grabbing arms when they're driving on ice? Wow. Okay.
2: Torpedo driving arms. (laughs) Those are some arms. Have you Those watched?
8: Have you watched the trailer? No,
2: I'm going to go watch it right it now. It'll
8: make sense. It'll make complete sense when you watch the trailer on ice
2: driving. But on it won't ice. won't. the same time. <laughs> okay, this is good. Um, now, but you're still going to do your show today, right?
8: Yeah, we're going to do. It.
2: You're not. You're not. You're going to do your show. Then you're going to go to the movies. Yeah. Okay.
8: Jeremy and I made a joke yesterday about oh, at some uh, point. Later. Not doing Later. the show one day, but still doing this radio hit.
2: That would be hilarious. And
1: nope, not when, doing it. When do we do a show and Matt doesn't?
8: It has or never done?
2: happened. I don't think. Well, we I can, don't
1: think that. Ha- that it, I don't
2: think it ever will.
1: Well, we could come in. Matt, I'm ch- I'm checking seat availability by the way for the movie. Okay, we could come We yeah. could come in studio on a day where two other guys
8: are here that are going to do the show. But we but they, they wouldn't we be doing
1: the show if we were here. Well,
8: but he's asking us: Are you doing your show? No, we are not doing our show,
1: uh-huh. Matt. Huh? Do you want to come? Literally, we're the only five people in there right now that aren't in the luxury seats.
2: Okay, see, so that right there just creeped me out. I was going to go, and then I thought just to go be the fifth guy with you guys, that would be, that come, would be come weird. Come party with us. Come th- party with you. I would love—honestly, so to today is just not a good day. I've got my own thing today.
1: Okay, right. Let's see but, how it is. Let's but, it, it's fine. I'll get over it.
2: But you know what? Um, I do want to go see Beauty <laughs> and the Beast with you guys if you guys are up for that.
1: Listen— we just offered you Fate of the Furious, and you're going <laughs> to offer us Beauty and the Beauty. That's your, that's your middle ground.
2: That's the, uh, I know. That, that wasn't—I didn't reach very far. No, but far. seriously,
8: we'd go with you. Today. The, the c- real winner here is the fact that the Fate or the Fast and the Furious have reached the Fate and number eight. Like, are, what that is winning,
1: okay? Totally. If you can make eight movies. Yeah, that's about, so how true. How about Guardians of the Galaxy? Oh, let's go see that. You want to go to that? Yes, trailer? I yeah. do. Let's do that. That's and, two weeks.
2: And that okay. Let's do that. Let's plan that for
1: three weeks. If you're a Tuesday person like us,
2: Tuesdays for five, maybe. and then we'll, let's maybe stop off and get some five for five or something.
1: Okay. Hey, I'm cool well, with that. Some fo fo-fo.
2: fo 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 fo. And I by the way, I did just see Dwayne Johnson's um, torpedo arms. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally true. On <laughs> ice, <laughs> on ice. Okay. So what's on your show today, real fast?
8: Uh let's see. It's How the about
1: the Fate of the Furious as well?
8: We are spoiled. We are spoiled with BYU spring sports. Yet I feel like. Because they are so consistently excellent, they are taken for granted. And today we're asking you, which is the most underappreciated team on campus? Now that can extend beyond the spring, mm. but we've got some good things happening in the month of April right now on campus at BYU. It's fun to be relevant and ranked.
2: Yes. Ranked with an ED. Yeah. Not yes. rank. Yeah. Ranked. Ranked's bad. Okay. That's a great topic you got there.
8: Assistant coach Jalen Reyes of the Volleyball is hanging out with us in sweet, the studio to sweet. preview the MPSF semifinals. Why the Cougars feel really good playing away from home, which is mm. just kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we've got Rose Huang in studio. She is the reigning West Coast Conference Player of the Year. And Man. she did it as a freshman in women's golf. Holy cow. Why she would beat you by 40 strokes <laughs> on the well, course, Matt. I'm going to
2: bet more than that.
8: In nine holes.
2: Unbelievable. <laughs> and she's a freshman?
8: Well, she was. She no, was she's a when, sophomore, yeah. but as a freshman player of the year.
2: She's pre-K. doing all right. She's doing yeah. all right.
8: Yep. Okay, Close great the show. The You're
2: yeah. locked and loaded. The fate and BYU Sports Nation. Yeah, and the number one recruit in the country is headed to BYU, Matt. <gasps> we'll tell you who and what sport. Are you serious? Okay, tomorrow we'll have to get more deets on that. Actually, today in four minutes. Okay, guys, knock them dead. Have a great show. Kill it. Three and a half minutes, folks. They will be waiting for you. Don't miss it. Hey, listen to this. A college student in China leaves his pants outside for two weeks, and a bird makes a nest inside them. Boy, lessons learned, huh? A university student in central China got quite the surprise recently after finding that a bird had set up a nest inside his pants. The student at Wuhan University of Science and Technology School of Automotive, Automotive Engineering said last week that he was in a habit of simply throwing off his clothes after arriving back in his dorm room and, uh, and after he would go to the gym and then waiting until the weekend to do the laundry. However, it appears he skipped a weekend of laundry. And in the meantime, the pants that he had hung up on the balcony had found a new occupant. A, a bird built a nest in a pair of his pants. The student reclaimed his pants, disposing of the nest. After the story spread around the campus, students said that he felt sorry for the birds who were now out of a home, calling a few classmates to leave their dirty laundry outside in order to help out nature. And now we know who actually wears the pants. Totally agree. Thank you. You're right. That was a bad joke. And... We also have a trailer that will be coming up about uh, Snake in the Pants, because the snake would we go in after probably the bird. To steer clear of that one. Okay, and um, as you know, we always like to end with a hero story. Upstate students bring prom to a teen battling cancer. Listen to this. Michaela Gist, 17, also known as the Queen Warrior, can light up even the dimmest hospital room with her positive personality. Four months of her having pain and limping, I just knew something was wrong. It was hard to see her going through her pain, Michaela's mother said. So I decided to take her to an orthopedic surgeon, and he looked at her uh, knee and did some tests and x-rays, and guess what? They found that Michaela had a form of cancer, osteosarcoma in her left knee, She was diagnosed with the cancer at the age of 15 um, years old and going through countless chemotherapy sessions ever since. Um, Then, guess what? Through it all, we ended up having to amputate her leg to save her life. So a bunch of her friends then got together and made her the homecoming queen so she wouldn't miss the, the, the prom. They still get straight A's. They still do whatever they want with all the help from others just said. She managed to put a check mark by a big list of things in her lifetime with a smile on her face. But one of the things she had never done was go to prom. So her friends brought the prom to her. She's one of the strongest people you'll ever meet, said friend of Michaela. You don't meet someone that strong in a lifetime. And we knew if anyone deserved the crown, it was definitely her. She donned her blue, uh, beautiful blue gown and was named the prom queen. So congratulations both to Michaela Gist for the strong fight that she's putting up uh, against cancer, but also to her friends who were smart enough to recognize royalty in her beautiful spirit. That's the show, my friends. That's it. We'll be back again tomorrow, 9 to noon Eastern time, right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Until then, let's take care of each other.